Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of Movie Change Up, uh, the show where each week two people go head-to-head pitching movie reboots. Uh, this week our theme is comic book movies. Uh, if you haven't ever seen our show before and you're watching live on Twitch or you're, you found us on TikTok or you're watching you know, later on on YouTube because we're no longer uh, streaming live to YouTube anymore, just directly to Twitch, and we're going to upload later to YouTube. Uh, how this show works is each week there's seven new movies and seven new rules, and uh, basically two people go head to head. They try to find the best combination of movie and rule. Can't you you know you have to use each rule once and can't use a rule more than twice. So it's kind of how that goes. My name's Joe Fricky, and uh, I have one of my co-creators as my co-host today, Johnny. What are your thoughts? What are you thinking? If you had to guess, who's going to come out victorious out of this? I, I'm interested because I know Bobby's um, comic book interest more more so than Tristan's. Um, so I'm curious to see where they both go with these with these movies. They think they have a lot of room to work with uh, with all the films that were chosen and uh, all the rules that we that we chose kind of give them some uh, some leeway as well. So I'm excited. If I had to tip my hat, I think I might go I might go Tristan on this one. Um, he is coming off a win. If he wins again, he gets to face me for the title, and I know that makes him hungrier um, than ever. So I, I think uh, I think that might give Tristan the edge in the end, but we'll have to see. Um, uh, so I'm excited. All right, and uh, Bobby, you're currently sitting at 0-2 right now this season looking for your first win. What are your thoughts? What are you thinking? What did you do to change uh, your what, what you've done previously? And he's paused, I think. So, uh, never mind, Tristan. What yeah. are you, same question. We start. Yeah. Yeah, if you, yeah, Tristan, you're currently one and one right now. What are your thoughts? What are you thinking? You know, did you, did you copy what you did in your victory and less what you did in your loss? What are you going to do today? Yeah, to I'm hoping body? so because, like Johnny said, if I win this, I get to face him for the championship. And I've taken you down, Joe. I'm ready to take Bobby down this time. And. Next to Melissa Johnny, and after that, I've taken everybody down. That makes me the best, even though my record might not show me as the best. I've beaten everyone, so therefore, I'm better than everyone, at least at one point or another. So I'm looking forward to this. I know all four of us are passionate about comic book movies in various different ways, so I'm sure me and Bobby will have some very different pitches this week, and our judges are going to have some pretty intense opinions on them, I'm sure. So I'm just looking forward to it. We have a really exciting week of comic books up coming up, whether it's Look at the Winter Soldier, whether it's Snyder Cut, we just got done with WandaVision. Everyone is talking about comic movies right now, so it's a good time to do this. All right. Awesome. Uh, Bobby, if you're back, if you heard what I asked. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I could hear everything. I Yeah, hopefully my internet is stable. Uh, I tried to fix it today, and it seemed to be better before we started. But, no, I am um, I think I put together two very competitive, uh, you know, matches so far uh, this season, uh, a little different than, than my – defeat to Johnny last season uh, to kind of end that. But, you know, um, I didn't change too much. I tried to stick to my guns and just put a little bit more passion behind it and uh, hope it does the job because, uh, hey, I, th- I think I should have beaten Johnny. So All we'll right. see how it goes now. All right. Yeah, well, you know, everyone has opinions. And I guess to get this kicked off, I'll start off by reading today's seven movies. We have The Incredible Hulk from 2008, The Leave Extraordinary Gentleman from 2003, Men in Black from 1997, Punisher Warzone from 2008, The Rocketeer from 1991, Superman Returns from 2006, and Wanted from 2008. And uh, Johnny, what are our seven rules for today? 
right, so our rules today are one must be set 100 years in the future. Put a comic book character on the map. Um, one must be told from a civilian's perspective. One must be a low-budget movie. We're counting that as something that is $10 million or less, um, so more of an indie film. Um, one must have a cameo from an original cast member of the movie they're rebooting. One must be um, a comedic director making their first serious film. And one must only include actor in their first franchise film. So you can't choose any, like Chris Evans or any people that have been in big franchises before. So that narrows down a lot of people in Hollywood. So I'm excited for that one as well. Yeah, it should be an interesting use of the rule. Uh, all right, we had a competition. Uh, before we started to see who would go first, and I believe Bobby won that. So, Bobby, who won, or what movie are we going with, and who's going first? Uh, I'm going to start with a, a different type of movie. I'm going to do The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and I'm going to let Tristan go first. All right, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was one of my selections, so that's another caveat on this show. Is uh, I picked three movies for them to do, Johnny picked three movies for them to do, and then you kind of pick one of them to do together i'm judging the three movies i picked johnny's judging the three movies he picked and then we're kind of collaborating on the one we chose together but i chose the league of extraordinary gentlemen it came out in 2003 has a 17 percent on rotten tomatoes and the story of it is a team of extraordinary fighters culled from great adventure literature including alan quartermain vampiris mina harker from dracula the invisible man dr jekyll and mr hyde uh, an American Secret Service agent named Sawyer, Captain Nemo, and Dorian Gray are called to stop a villain intent on turning the nations of the world against one another. All right, so let's hear your pitch. So my pitch for League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, for my rule, I use you must only include non-franchise actors. We just talked about that rule, so I'm happy to get that one out of the way. It was not an easy rule to use. Like Johnny said, it, it this includes a lot of people, but I think you'd be surprised who hasn't been in a franchise yet. And I'll go over my director, too. My director, I use Peter Jackson. He's shown in the past that he can adapt classic literature and characters without being, like, stringently faithful to the material while still being satisfying. He has, especially in his earlier movies, a sense of humor and fun and adventure to them. Even in Lord of the Rings, even though it's dire, you're still having fun with the characters. And he works really well with unknown actors. In Lord of the Rings, almost everybody in that cast was relatively unknown. He got such a great performance out of them. They've all become like household names just out of that one movie, pretty much. So for my pitch, I decided to take the premise of the second volume of the original novels and kind of adapt that loosely into a feature film. The original adapted volume one very, very loosely. <laughs> Joe's holding up the, the source material right up to the screen. Hopefully he's happy with this. And in the second volume, if you don't know, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen takes on the aliens from War of the Worlds. So those, my villains in this are the aliens from more of the worlds. And I'll go through my cast characters here. I changed up some of them to give them a little bit of a different characters, but I brought in some of the classics too, so I'm curious what you guys think. The newcomer to the group and our eyes into the beginning of the story is Elizabeth, also known as the Bride of Frankenstein, played by Kristen Ritter. You obviously know her from Jessica Jones and uh, the Marvel TV shows on Netflix, but film-wise, she hasn't done any franchise films yet, so I think she fit for that. We have an MI6 spy version of Mycroft Holmes, the older brother of Sherlock Holmes, and in my movie, he's played by Damian Lewis. You might know him from Homeland, the TV show, and a bunch of other pretty good movies, a British theater-trained actor. 
And my Dr. Heckle, Mr. Hyde, my classic uh, literature character, is played by Leonardo DiCaprio, who I'm shocked to learn hadn't done a franchise film. And I also brought in Flash Gordon, played by Patrick Schwarzenegger, who's having a really rising career as an actor right now, and I think he'd be a good take for giving this sci-fi kind of character uh, made popular in old uh, serials and old uh, comics, like newspaper-style comics. I think he fits into the lineup of these characters. So, like I said, I'm having the antagonist be the aliens and more of the world. So in our opening scene, we get Flash Gordon on Mars kind of trying to evacuate civilians as the aliens are attacking, similar to the opening sequence of Volume 2 of the novel. And I think it'd be fun here to throw in a cameo from John Carter of Mars. He played a role in the original novel, but I think he's not necessarily as recognizable now as a character, so I didn't want to make him the lead. And we see Flash Gordon saving people and ultimately saying that, sure, he saved people from Mars, but now the aliens are heading towards Earth. So meanwhile, in 1890s England, Elizabeth is recruited by Mycroft uh, for her supernatural knowledge to join the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And the League, like I said, is kind of a team of tripled heroes. They're from various classic literature and comics. And uh, like in a lot of Alan Moore's work, they're troubled characters that have some dark darkness to their light. And I don't want to have them be very one note. I want to have them have some complexity to them, but also be very fun and kind of, you're seeing these characters you know in very different light. Uh, so they hear of a flying saucer crash landing nearby, so they go out to investigate it. And as soon as they do, an alien comes out and tries to attack the group. So we see the League having to work together in this scene, but they're still kind of new. They're not necessarily trained for this level of combat, so they're quickly, quickly knocked down and saved by Flash Gordon. He shows up and saves them and kind of fills them in on what happened and joins a team. So the rest of the movie is them working together as a team with Flash Gordon. Uh, we also go to the island of Dr. Moreau, like they did in the original comic, and he helps them kind of develop some technology to take on these aliens. And we, we, we just see this team come together of these misfits, these various outlandish characters who have some dark pasts, and they're putting it all aside to team up and outsmart these aliens. And even if they can't necessarily fight them head on head, they can outsmart them. They can use their knowledge of history, their knowledge of supernatural events, we have Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, who can be kind of the, the muscle of the group fighting the aliens, and they ultimately do save them. But, of course, it, it's at a loss. They're very traumatized by this event. And they're formed as a team, but we're not quite sure they're going to hold together in the next matchup. So that's my pitch for League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. The team coming together, fighting aliens. All right. Uh, Bobby, what do you got? All right. So I went a different way. Um... I kept some of the same characters, but I re very much recontextualized uh, the story. So my, the rule I used is that um, these characters are known for being in the past. I want to send them into the future, so I'm going to put them 100 years into the future. Um, my director I chose is going to be True Drew Goddard, who did uh, Bad Times at the El Royale, as well as Cabin in the Woods. I think he shows great style in his movies that I would kind of want to do for a neo-noir visual look um, for my futuristic movie for this one. Uh, for my cast, I have um, Eric Bana as Alan Quartermain. Uh, I think he's a good actor, can kind of be a good leader for this group. I have Olivia Wilde as Mina Harker. Uh, I think she's, I mean, she's done a great job directing, but I'd like to see her act a little more. She has very, like, striking eyes and uh, can kind of portray the Harker character from the, the old novels. 
for my Rodney Skinner, The Invisible Man, I have Ewan McGregor. Uh, for my Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, I have Willem Dafoe. I'd like to see him tap back into a little bit of that uh, Green Goblin kind of energy, switching between characters. My Captain Nemo, I have Vincent Cassell. Um, my M, who uh, is in the original kind of comics, and I have a twist on this one, is in a Hugo Weaving. Uh, and then I also cast James Moriarty as Colin Firth. Um, that's kind of giving away a little bit of a twist compared to the original storyline, but I'll get into that. So in the year 2121, Mina Harker is recruited by British intelligence to assemble, assemble a league of other extraordinary individuals to, pr to protect the interests of the UK. The team she assembles includes adventurer Alan Quartermain, Dr. Jekyll, uh, Rodney Skinner, a.k.a. the Invisible Man, and Captain Nemo. The head of British intelligence, M, informs the team that a, a group known as Phantom has been bombing various locations across the country and is threatening to expose British intelligence officers if they interfere. That's why they assemble the team who can work under the guise of being an independent um, kind of squad that's not associated with the government. Uh, this leads to an investigation in the neo-noir setting, so we have kind of a little bit more, um, like I do have action pieces, but we have some more like investigative work in this kind of uh, futuristic setting. Um, they, it leads, their investigation leads to their first kind of action scene at a facility that Phantom is bombing where they fight henchmen who seem to have super strength but are clearly crazed. Uh, they start working with an informant who feeds, feeds them information, um, and that leads to more clues that they look into, and they believe that M could actually be behind it, uh, which leads to an inter interrogation scene where Dr. Jekyll is playing good cop and bad cop with his two alter egos, which I think could be a lot of fun. Um, as he's doing this, Alan Quartermain has a revel revelation telling Dr. Jekyll to come back to the team, uh, and putting clues together, he realizes that the henchman that they're fighting had very similar characteristics to Mr. Hyde's persona. And that the phantom that phantom must have stolen the formula that created uh, Mr. Hyde. Uh, this leads to again like more of an action ending where it's kind of revealed that James Moriarty was acting as the um, informant. So he's kind of throughout the movie informing them, and that's why he led them to think M was behind it to get them to kind of take out the government for him. Um, and his plan was to create a world war so his super soldiers that he's creating with the uh, Doctor Jekyll Mr. Hyde formula can be bought by the highest bidder, making him the ultimate arms dealer. Um, so we get our third act kind of action scene takedown after the big mystery revelation. Um, and I think combining mystery with action and with a neo-noir futuristic Blade Runner visual style could, with these old characters could be really, really intriguing. Um, so that's kind of what I'm going for. All right. Uh, Johnny, do you have any questions for them? Because I have one for each, but. Um, my, uh, yeah, my main question, um, for Tristan is Tristan with, um, Peter Jackson, I feel like six, uh, succeeds best at like practical effects and a lot of the big action set pieces, uh, that are CGI fail for me, um, in like the Hobbit movies, especially what are your fight scenes going to look like with these characters and big aliens? Yeah, you want to lean to the practical effects with with Peter Jackson. I think you want the aliens to be practical, give him practical costumes, practical ships, and those kind of things. And I'm not making him on a massive, massive action, action movie, but you do have some action scenes with uh, Mr. Hyde and Flash Gordon fighting these aliens. But a lot of it is going to be focused on the team and them coming together. And you have some action, but I'm not going to make a big CG action. I'm really going to want to focus on the practical effects as much as I can. And if you look at some of Peter Jackson's older movies, even before Lord of the Rings, you see had a good way of being kind of, I don't 
I mean, a ton of creature-looking stuff. I think that would be something that I would like to see him get back to, more of a passion product. I think when you see The Hobbit, you can tell his soul wasn't into it at all. He was just doing it for, like, the studio paycheck in the end. So I feel like this is something he could have a lot more passion for and really be able to put his, his love for cinema into making it. Okay. All right. I like that answer. And then, Bobby, your plot with the selling off uh, the super soldiers to the highest bidder reminds me a little too much of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. How are you going to kind of differentiate that? Like selling those um, to the biggest arms dealers and stuff like that. You're not going to so have like an auction scene, are you? No, no. So what it is, his plan, he was actually trying with the bombings and stuff. He was trying to, I, I didn't want to get too like deep into my plot because it, I didn't want it to go too long. But basically, he's trying to create a world war so different countries are bidding on his soldiers so he could then lead a certain country to victory mm-hmm. with his soldiers. So it's not like there's a big auction scene of like, rich people in a mansion or anything that was just his plan he doesn't even really get to it it's revealed that that's happening um and also it's not dinosaurs which makes it a little more silly these are actually human looking soldiers they're just super soldiers i mean they you know i don't know how much he'd reveal how kind of crazy they are with the mr hyde stuff but uh it's more just super soldier type things that he's trying to sell Okay, Joe, what are your questions? For All right, so my question for Tristan is that, like, in the like the original movie and the original comics, the characters, I feel like, all kind of go together. They're all from, like, slightly different genres, but they're all kind of similar era, you know, characters with similar tones. I feel like yours, I don't know if necessarily the tones for all the characters line up, especially, like, someone like Flash Gordon and then Moriarty. So I guess just in your defense, I'm going to need you to explain more how your characters fit together and can be, exist in a universe together. And then my question Bobby is I'm not sure I see why your movie necessarily needs to take place a hundred years from now. Like as you were describing it, I'm like, I feel like that could have taken place anytime. So I'm just going to need you to defend more why, you know, your movie needs to be set a hundred years from now. Like if you were going to set it a hundred years from now, why didn't you choose like all instead of the characters in the movie and in the book, why you didn't choose characters that all exist in like futuristic movies and futuristic stories. But I'll just let you guys def- answer those two questions in the arguments. You know, it's 1909 now. I'll give you five minutes. So at 2410, whatever, I'll stop it. So yeah, I set out and defend my character choices really quick. The graphic novels do use Flash Gordon. I mean, they do use John Carter, who has that kind of pulpy origin that I think is almost the exact same as Flash Gordon. I think I want I, what I like the most about the premise of this, of the novel and the movie, is that you're taking these characters that we know and putting them in situations that they wouldn't necessarily be in already. So even though they don't on paper line up, like you wouldn't in a normal movie see. Mycroft, Holmes, and Flash Gordon interacting, but I think in this you can. And when you give it that slightly larger-than-life feel of aliens coming to Earth, of um, Doc Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, of these characters that are clearly not are clearly larger than than life, I think it fits a little perfectly to uh, bring Flash Gordon in and to bring some of these characters in, even if they don't necessarily blend together. I think that's the premise of of the, of the story. You want to see these characters come together and work together, and they all do have similar origins. They're all from, whether it be classic literature or classic pulp magazines, they had that old school character kind of feel. So I do think they fit with the premise of this. So I'm happy with my characters. I think they fit with the premise. And I just think it, it makes the most of the premise. I think Bobby's leans too, a little too heavily in being faithful to the movie rather than the source material. And the movie isn't very good. So I think Bobby's biggest flaw here is that he leaned way too much into the source, into the movie. And I tried to be more creative with mine. I tried to bring in characters that we hadn't seen yet. And I just think that's a lot more interesting than, interesting than seeing 
Okay, yeah. we're going to take a premise of the movie and kind of do it again. So, yeah, I mean, if you've seen the movie, my premise is pretty different. It's It has, a like, a, a theme of the first one, but very, very different. Yeah, he cut out. Like that means I won. Yeah, I keep taking me getting cut out. All right. I, I wanted to uh, set these old characters in the future, and I thought that um, dynamic would be really interesting instead of just if I'm setting it in the future, now I have futuristic superheroes or robots or scientists or something. I would rather. Yeah. Can't have that all episode. Yeah, if he needs to reset his router. Or... Yeah, I've done it twice today, and it seemed like it was doing better. So I don't know if that'll help much, but um, let's see if I can get through any of this first. Uh, but basically, I don't know how much you heard, but the characters I I loved more of the aesthetic and the dynamic of taking old school literature characters and setting them into the future, and that would that's a lot more in interesting to me than switching. A little bit it, it seems a little but um, I didn't hear a lot of what you said yeah. there about yeah. you're breaking up a bit but I think yeah. what you were trying to say there yeah. is that you think it's more interesting yeah. to have the characters set 100 views mm -hmm. in the future yeah. rather than just changing out some of the characters yeah yeah because yeah, it old school literature characters every time they're done are usually set back when they were created all right i mean yeah. joe you're the deciding factor on this i think i i've heard every yeah thing i um I think but yeah if you need to hear anything like specific and more narrowed down from bobby because we can't really go on and on about it. Uh, maybe ask like, a yeah. direct question if you need to hear Let something. Let me just, if I can no. get something out really quick. You can't. Yeah. Unfortunately, because your internet. Yeah, I, I, I think I know where I'm going to go, but I want to hear what you have to say. I think, I mean, even Bobby getting into his, I don't think will help him for me. Um, for me, it's Tristan. I'm not super into either of them, but I think. While Bobby's saying, like, setting these characters 100 years in the future is more interesting, they have done that a couple of times, and they failed. That was a big, like, 90s thing where they made a Dracula movie in the future and a Frankenstein movie in the future, and there's a reason you don't see those characters used um, that way. And I just think I'd rather see some of Tristan's characters rather than Bobby's, um, you know. Like, I've seen some of these things before. Um, I'm not too into Olivia Wilde's, like, acting um and you know i don't know i i just think his tone was a little a little all over the place just from the pitch i know he couldn't really fully get into it but like the good cop bad cop thing didn't seem to fit with like a drew goddard film i mean i guess it does if it's more of a humor um in it yeah, but i don't not really into a humorous league of extraordinary gentlemen i don't need to see these characters cracking jokes so i think tristan's with peter jackson fits the tone of something i would at least be more interested in while i'm not completely sold on and i think that's the one i'd, I'd at least go see over Bobby's. Yeah, my thing, it was hard because I, I feel like Flash Gordon doesn't really, didn't really fit in with the rest of 
uh, Tristan's movie. I know he said that basically they have the similar origin stories, but Flash Gordon was like a football star, and uh, John Connor, not John Connor, but whatever the fuck his name is, is like a John civil. Carter. John Carter. There we go. Was like a Civil War veteran, and I feel like that fits more with like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen than like a football star. But I really still don't. I mean, I know it was hard for him because his internet was cutting out, but I still don't know like as far as use of the rule like why this movie needs to be 100 years from now especially like what johnny said of like we've just gotten every time they've attempted something like that it feels like it's always bad and it hasn't worked out and i didn't get enough of a reason why other than maybe it's just you know a different dynamic but when we've seen that dynamic it hasn't worked so yeah i wasn't really feeling either pitch but i'm gonna go with uh tristan on this one all right and if i i can't fight because i can't just like I had so much to say on that one, but I can't right now. So if my internet isn't working, like I don't know what to do with this. I can try to leave and come back, but uh... try to do that, and we'll see if it helps. And then we'll just try to keep it, you know, more dynamic. That one, I, I mean, we would have given you more time on even with the internet thing if I felt yeah. like we needed to hear more. But honestly, the yeah, yeah I, I had a lot super of interesting. I don't think that was too that close. Was to it. Yeah, okay, but I, I still want to try to get this figured out. So I'll leave yeah. and try to come back and. We try yeah. to what, where, where are we going? Where are we, what's, what's our next movie? movie first? Um, let's do let's do Punisher War Zone. All right, that's Johnny's right. pitch. I'm excited so. for that. So you're up for reading that. And if we have to keep it short, we can always just have like direct questions and direct answers. You know, if we don't have time, we, we can't do the the full five minutes of debating. We could always just yeah. be like, okay, what are your questions for each contestant? And, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what think, we could I do. Is I could be... ask direct questions. We could ask direct questions to each of them, and if Bobby needs to, he can type them in the private chat. While we can just always ask Bobby his questions first, and then as Tristan's answering his questions, Bobby can type it in the private chat if he needs to. Yeah. All right. So, with that being said, we'll wait for Bobby to come back in. So, Joe, keep an eye out, obviously, for him back in the um, backstage. Um, I'll read the description from Punisher Warzone. This movie is from 2008. It's kind of a cult classic. I, I love it. Um, Lexi Alexander, I think, is an awesome director, and I think this one kind of hurt her career, and I think it should have helped it. But here's the description. Frank Castle, a.k.a. The Punisher, played by Ray Stevenson, turns the streets of New York City red as he wages a one-man war against the crime syndicate responsible for the death of his wife and two kids. Aided by his trusted sidekick, Microchip, played by Wayne Knight, he almost kills Billy, uh, Billy Russo, Russotti, um, otherwise known as just Billy Russo, played by Dominic West, and leaves him horribly disfigured. Billy renames himself Jigsaw, and with the help of his crazed brother, Looney Bin Jim, um, recruits criminals from every corner of the city to do battle with Frank. And it's wildly um, violent and awesome. I love that movie. All right. Uh, Bobby, you didn't say who's going first. so um, I'll go first on this one. All right. And hopefully I can get this out. Um, so my movie, the rule I use is that I'm going to make this a low-budget movie. Uh, so it's going to be $10 million or under, and I think that fits Punisher really well. Uh, my terrible, director, terrible choice. Yeah, I bet you did the same thing. We might have very similar movies. Um, my director is going to be someone who's worked with low budgets before and has put out really thrilling and... Uh, good like either action sci-fi or, or uh heck like horror kind of movies and that's going to be lee winnell uh who did upgrade and the invisible man 
My Frank Castle is going to be someone he's worked with before to keep it under 10 million, 10 million. Uh, Logan Marshall Green, he wouldn't really command that too too high of a uh, uh, of a salary. Um, my Jigsaw is going to be played by Timothy Oliphant, who is mostly known for TV work, but he is a very good actor. Um, and then basically the rest is going to be a lot of stuntmen um, because that my movie is going to involve a lot of a lot of action and bloody scenes and shots, and you don't really need too many characters. Uh, there's also a little girl that I didn't really cast. You can pick any any little little girl actress to do that. But so we pick up with Frank Castle, aka the Punisher, tracking down a missing child named a- Amy Bendix. We see flashbacks showing that she's a little girl who Frank has bonded with um, after she found him hiding during a job, uh, and he told her not to tell. Um, and he kind of bonded with her throughout and kept visiting her uh, her family um, after you know his family died. Uh, so we went. As he makes his uh, way, he's ambushed by... Or wait, sorry, I skipped ahead. Um, Her trail leads him to an old building set for demolition. As he makes his way, he's ambushed by bad guys with various weapons. And we now have Punisher bloodily making his way through um, and up a building to find Amy. Each new level has new threats, new weapons, including machine guns, swords, grenade grenade launchers, and any variety kind of assassins or thing and weaponry that he could fight. Um, on his poli- police radio throughout, he is hears various messages about the, through the movie, uh, and it turns to, to see if Amy turns up elsewhere. Um, he also reaches, or he ends as he reaches the top of the building. He hears the police talk about himself, and his location, and that they are closing in as well. Um, Amy had accidentally told her police chief dad about something she witnessed Frank do, uh, and that led them to his trail. And also, it, it tipped off the corrupt cops to tell Kingpin. Um, about a- about his relationship with Amy. Um, Jigsaw was hired by Kingpin to kidnap Amy and lead Frank to this building to die, hi- hiring various assassins to get the job done. The police were after Frank because of him being a vigilante, vigilante so that's not anything new, but he just has to get out of there before they arrive. Um, so this leads to kind of a, a, a ticking clock as well as a final bloody fight with Jigsaw, ending with Jigsaw's bloody death. Uh, Frank, covered in blood and injured, puts Amy over his shoulder and leaves, watching the police show up behind him as he walks away in the shadows. So it's a pretty simple movie, but it's going to be a bloody Punisher making his way through. I know a kind of Raid style, Dread style, but I think that fits the Punisher. All right. Uh, Tristan. So for my Punisher Warzone, I use the rule uh, low budget. Same rule that Bobby used. I think it fits well for the Punisher. You want that kind of gritty kind of crime drama and for my director i use someone who made one of the better gritty crime dramas of all time anton fuqua he made training day which was an awesome uh you know street level cop movie and then he also has done some pretty good action movies equalizer things like that that i think shows his action chops as well and my cast punisher i have the ultimate fan cast fan cast for a reason it's frank grillo you, you know him as uh, Crossbones from the Captain America movies, but he's been on my list forever of who I wish could play Punisher, and he's not super well-known, so I think he fits well in the low budget. And my microchip I have played by Jeffrey Wright. You might know him from Westworld. Uh, I think he fits the role that I'm going for in this movie that I'm going to get to. And the rest of the cast is unknown stuntmen, like Bobby said. If you're going to have a movie like this, you want it to be some known actors, and then the rest of it's just people they can find that are good. <laughs> and my main goal with this movie is that I want to defeat this very toxic uh, idea of what the Punisher is in our culture, that he's become this very pro-cop, pro-cop 
Icon, you know, you see him on cap cards, you see him on assault rifles, and he's his idea of who he is as a character has been lost. I think in some of these modern uh, perspectives, even the writers of the comics have said that, and they have addressed it in some recent issues as well. So I want to kind of follow their lead and make this a direct addressment of that idea. So our opening scene, I'll go through that. I got some details to the opening scene, and then I'll just kind of give you guys some general idea for the rest of it. So our opening scene, it's Hell's Kitchen. We have two young black men, one of them microchip, walking home from a bar. They're stumbling a bit, but they're not necessarily super drunk, and they're talking about their experiences of the day as leaders of a protest movement who are trying to clean up the streets of Hell's Kitchen and stop these abusive cops from coming in and using their power to kind of attack these citizens of Hell's Kitchen. And as they're walking down, we see red and blue lights flash behind them, and a cop car pulls right up with a nice big Punisher logo on the back of the car. And two cops get out and grab them and pull them in the back of the car and drive them off. But instead of getting arrested, uh, they're taken to the top of a parking garage where them and a few other leaders of protest movements across South Kitchen are being kind of beaten and threatened and intimidated into not doing their work. And we see one kind of young buck cop who wants to make his name known and he pulls out his gun and he puts it up to Microchip's head and he says, I'm gonna kill this guy right now. He's about to kill him, and before he can do it, the cop gets blown away and falls over. And from the shadows, you see the Punisher walk out. He takes down these cops, rescues these guys, and learns from them uh, that there's these cops that are going around, this group of cops who have taken his name in vain and are using that to take out revenge on Citizens of Hell's Kitchen. So the Punisher works along with Microchip to outsmart these corrupt cops to track them down one by one and take them out you know so we see it's a gritty action thriller a crime drama them going through the streets of hell's kitchen taking these cops down one by one you also get some flashbacks to the punisher's time as a soldier in the uh, middle east where you see he has history of taking corrupt orders from corrupt leaders and having a problem with it and i think that established some of his motivation here and generally i want to break down this idea that uh, the Punisher would have anything to do with cops who abuse their power and kill people. And even in the recent issue of the Punisher, he directly addressed this, where there was like a fan club of cops who all love the Punisher. And he goes up and meets him and says, like, you should not be idolizing me. You guys work within the law, and I don't. So if I see you out here doing that again, I'm going to come get you. So I wanted to take that premise of he's going to come get them and just make a movie about that. So mine's just a gritty, exciting action drama. Punisher going on, taking down corrupt cops, and defeating not only corrupt cops, but the false image of Punisher in pop culture. And that's my take. Okay. All right. Um, Joe, I'll be deciding on this because I chose Punisher Warzone. This Punisher is my guy. If I can find my camera. Um, Joe, so do you have any questions for these two? Uh, not really. The only thing is, I guess, when it comes... I mean, I guess he could defend it now, but... Bobby's, you know, cast and director and everything, I think I could see that being under the $10 million, but I don't know if I could see, you know, like the Antoine Fuqua... I don't see Antoine Fuqua directing a $10 million movie, so that's the only thing question for Tristan that I really have. 
And that was Matt's main problem, too, because looking at his box office measure, he's never done anything so low. Like, even Brooklyn's Finest was his low-budget one a few years ago. That was $17 million. But most of his are within 55 to $75 million. Yeah, the reason I picked him is I went off a of train day. It wasn't necessarily a low, low-budget movie, but I think he's shown in that movie that he can work really well with the limitation on his budget. So even if he might not necessarily want to do this, I think it's something that he'd get a lot of quality out of. And I think if he was presented this project, especially since it's Punisher, it's Marvel, they would have that kind of prestige. You know, it's a low-budget movie, but it's still something big. And I think if they give him that title, it's something that I could see him taking on and getting something really great out of it. Um, and yeah, I'd say my main thing too for, for Tristan mainly is, um, we kind of saw Frank Grillo be a very similar character to the Punisher in, uh, the second Purge movie, if you ever saw that. And I found him kind of bland and boring, um, in that role. So why is he your, like, such a good choice for the Punisher in your eyes? I think he looks the part. He has a lot of grit to him, and I think he was kind of bland and boring because it's a purge, and it's all bland and boring. I think you give him a really good director. You give him a really good character, a really good script and franchise. You could get something out of it. You've seen in Captain America, even in a very small part, he was being he was very memorable, and you bring that kind of memorability, that kind of charisma to the Punisher. It's something that I think you could pull off really well versus him in the purge, which was just kind of like Frank Grillo in this low-budget kind of horror movie. I don't know. I think this fits better for him than The Purge did. Okay. All right. So, with all that being said, with the fights, I kind of want to um, – the thing that I'm looking for most is, despite my question, I, I think the cast is is pretty similar um, because Tristan at least canceled out, like, I think Frank Grillo is fine. I don't know much about Logan Marshall Green, but uh, he was cool in Upgrade. And Jeffrey Wright as Microchip was huge for him. I love that casting. And Bobby doesn't even have Microchip in his movie. So I think casting-wise, you guys are pretty balanced. Um, just explain to me why your movie fits the character of the Punisher better and why is this a movie, if I'm a Punisher fan, especially going for a low-budget feel, like why is your movie just a stronger story than the others? Yeah, I'll start on this one because I think Tristan's directs – a he he's um addressing a little bit too directly the real world kind of talk uh about punisher right now and and very much on the nose with it um as far as his storyline goes with him literally killing corrupt cops i think that's a little too too right on the button uh and would would cause probably more outrage than it should and maybe tarnish the name more at that point um and then as far as me as being true to the character punisher as as brutal as he is, he is very loving towards certain the people in his life, especially kids that he would befriend, like Amy in the comics. And so I like his that being his motivation. Um, and then you also get the fact that he is wanted by cops and the villains he's caught in between. So you do do have the fact that he is not working with the police or whatever because it, that that creates the ticking time bomb. Um, but he does, you know, use them, and it shows corrupt cops as far as because you know they have people working for kingpin but people that love the punisher also love just the straight up action and a lot of the the stuff that he does to get the job done and that that's what differentiates him from most heroes um because he's kind of he is pretty much an anti-hero um 
And I think giving him a motivation that is very pure about rescuing a child kind of negates the, you know, maybe if there was another motivation for it, people would try to say, well, did he really, does he really need to kill everyone? Maybe it would cause the discussion to be a little bit more toxic about it. But that's, I like that. I like showing his heart along with his brutalness and brutality. I also think as far as Tristan's cast, Frank Grillo would actually be better in my movie. I think Logan Marshall Green could do either, but Frank Grillo in just a straight up action movie would be better than in his, which is more of like a, I don't know, roaming detective figuring out the corrupt cops and then killing cops. And I, to me, that, that storyline just doesn't, it doesn't fit as much for the Punisher. And I think it's, like I said, a little bit too, too on the nose to the discussion that's going on right now. I'll say that I think it fits the character really well. My uh, memories of Punisher all come from Punisher Max. I read that a lot when I was younger, and I think that shows pushing the character to the limit and making him someone where even the audience almost questions, like, oh, wow, can I even root for this guy anymore? But he's taking down criminals, taking down people you know are bad, so you're still kind of rooting for him, but you're questioning yourself as he's doing it. And I think pushing him to the point where he's killing cops like that is what I think would be the Punisher Max of 2021. You're taking on this very hot button issue and pushing it to the to the limit and making it violent, making it gritty. And I think that fits pretty well. It's not, I don't think it's too on the nose because it's literally happened in the comics. Like they've had that scene in the comics where he meets cops that are fans of him and calls them up for it. And I think that shows that it fits the character, it fits the comic. And I think if you're gonna make a Punisher movie in the modern climate, you have to address it directly. You can't just have it be a background thing. You can't have it be like a subtle thing because we've seen in the past that when it's subtle, people miss it. You see it all the time. I mean, look at all these, you see it in in my story, like these cops that took Punisher and totally misunderstood what he was doing. And that's something we see in real life. And I think the best way to make people not confused by that is to just directly address it. You're not letting anybody walk out of that theater not knowing that what the movie's trying to say. And I think that's what's most interesting about it. And especially and in Training Day too, he was able to have very compelling cop corruption storylines without having like a very obvious right and wrong solution to it you know and i think he could find that in the punisher year sure he's taking down cops that are bad but how far is too far and that's the kind of conversation i want to inspire is how far is too far when you're the punisher and is that that's kind of the point of the punisher you know he's the guy who will do what nobody else can do and that might mean taking yeah. down cops I mean, that, that story may exist in the comics but just because something exists doesn't mean it's right for the climate that we're in now. It does, it will come off as being a direct response, which will turn off the people that may want to see it from probably seeing it. If they see a trailer where um, he's killing cops, it's going to start even more of an outcry and an outrage. And it's not, and it's going to be just about Hollywood at that point. Um, but as far as your story, your, like I think rule choice wise, I pitched a movie that could realistically be $10 million or under. And I don't know with your director choice that he would do that. Um, I mean, yeah, Frank Grillo, but who's gonna, like, I, I think you picked a, like I like I said with your cast, Frank Grillo would be solid in a smaller role like he is in Captain America or in a role where he is very action heavy and it's more his reaction. He's very good at action scenes and stuff like that. That's why people wanted him as Punisher. But that would fit better for my movie. And I think Logan Marshall Green has shown a range of acting because the first thing I ever saw him in was Prometheus, which I did not think he was good in. But everything I've seen him in since, he's been really great and he's improved and can be badass and show that off. So I think I have someone who could do either movie. Um, and he's not, like you said, it is someone that people don't know the face of. So you can kind of just, 
okay, this is the Punisher. Um, so I think we kind of both filled that. Johnny's trying to talk, but he's muted. Damn mute button. Um, here's my thing. I uh, I need Tristan maybe to talk for about 30 more seconds to defend whatever Bobby, like, just address to him whatever he feels necessary to say. Um, but otherwise, I have my decision. Yeah, made, so I, I think I know where I'm from... Yeah, I need to hear one last bit from Tristan. I don't think it's a bad thing to directly address current problems. I think that's a good thing. I think too often we see movies like, especially comic movies that are so apolitical and so afraid to have any moral lesson at all that they're just like empty and devoid of anything to say. And I think being very direct, addressing issues very directly and pushing them to the maximum limit is what I think Punish is all about. You take something real, you take something grounded and you make it very violent, you make it very intense. And I, once again, I'll cite Punisher Max that is one of the more, more famous takes in the character where they really, really pushed the character to what he could do and what he could be capable of in terms of darkness, in terms of violence. And it's problematic to take on cops, but that's the Punisher. I think the Punisher is most exciting when he's problematic and when he's breaking the rules. So that's why I went for that with mine. And Jeffrey Wright microchip is awesome. So he's the one doing the investigating. Punisher is taking him down. So that's my movie. All right. Um, so Joe, uh, I'm making the final decision, but uh, maybe you'll sway me a bit with yours. What are you What are you thinking over there? All right. So I mean, basically, what I was thinking is I feel like Bobby's movie seems interesting. I like uh, his cast. I feel like it's a ten million dollar cast. I feel like his director is a ten million dollar director. I like his storyline. He ta he does a lot of the same like political things Tristan does, but again, his is more subtle, like Tristan said. And my thing with Tristan is I still am not sure. I think his cast might be a $10 million cast. And I um, uh, I just don't think his director is necessarily a $10 million director. And Tristan said something of uh, Frank Rillo and the Purge was, you know, not that compelling and, you know, maybe a little bland. But it's the Purge and one of the, like, very good director. Uh, he could be made more charismatic but the thing that I've at least experienced in watching movies is the directors are never one that like make a guy charismatic it's usually if it, the director's bad they can kind of suck the charisma out of someone and I've never really seen Frank Grillo to be that charismatic and I don't know if Antoine Fuqua is the guy that's gonna you know pull that out of Frank Grillo to make him charismatic so I just feel like his movie is just gonna kind of be a non-compelling lead throughout it and especially if it's not an action movie it's a little bit more of a dramatic movie i just don't know how interested i'm going to be and i think the you know flashbacks to his time in war might be a little bit too much especially for a 10 million dollar movie that's i feel like would be more focused so that's kind of where i'm leaning with bobby all right so i disagree with joe on a couple things with what he said um just in terms of i do think the director can pull a great performance out of someone and kind of change your perspective on them of them I think that was a big thing with Jake Gyllenhaal. His whole career, it was like, this guy's failing. He doesn't have the charisma to do it. And then he started making films with really good directors and showed his charisma and now is a, a, is a popular actor. But one of the worst movies and one of the worst performances I've seen from Jake Gyllenhaal was in Southpaw, which was directed by Antoine Fuqua. So I don't trust Fuqua to pull a charismatic performance out of someone that I haven't seen do that before. Um he really outside of training days kind of a one-hit wonder um as a director and none of his movies are 10 million dollars so i don't love the director choice i got what tristan was going for with this story but i do think a big problem with the punisher is the perception of the character um from both sides from a lot of different people um i think a bigger problem with the punisher is less the cop thing even though that is annoying 
and it's a it's a problem. Um, all these school shooters that they find, you know, Punisher posters in their rooms and things like that. I think the Punisher is a very difficult character for, to portray. And when you do go directly, like so much of him killing cops and things, I think that would inspire too far the other way. And maybe you have innocent cops being killed by people that think they're some type of Punisher um, type character. So I do think while Tristan, I get where he was going, went too direct with it. And I don't trust, I love the Punisher show, but when they tried to address gun violence because they delayed their first season of that show because of um, a, a shooting, they addressed gun ownership in such an awfully lazily like way. Um, and they dropped the ball on that completely. So I do think Bobby's addresses it a little more realistically. And I think while I don't like the relationship Bobby set up with Amy, I think he doesn't really, the Punisher is better as the reluctant guardian. And then he, you know, feels guilty for not protecting people rather than, going to visit the family and stuff like that. I really didn't like that about Bobby's pitch, but everything else I did like more. I, I like the raid style movie. Bobby's director upgrade was $3 million. Invisible man was $7 million. Um, so he does have a director that has made movies that have profited off low budgets. Um, so outside of a couple of aspects, um, neither of these were my perfect punishment movie I was hoping for, but I think Bobby's overall is, is a stronger pitch. So I'm going to give this point to Bobby. And I'm going to change the scoreboard because I don't think I did. Oh, I did do that. All right, cool. So it's one-to-one after two pitches, and Bobby didn't cut out at all that round. So that is great to see. Joe is cutty a little bit, so we'll see what that is going forward. Um, so, Tristan, you lost that point, but where are we going next to bounce back? Let's go with Watson so I can get that uh, two-to-one. Uh, it's another Johnny pitch, so. That was my choice. All right. Sorry about that, guys, if you had trouble with it, but fuck you. Um, all right. So, Wanted came out in 2008 as well, um, and it got a 72% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wesley Gibson, played by James McAvoy, um, is an office worker whose life is going nowhere. After his estranged father is murdered, he meets Fox, played by Angelina Jolie, who recruits him into the fraternity. A secret society of assassins which takes its orders from fate itself. Fox and Sloan, played by Morgan Freeman, um, the fraternity's leader, teach Wesley to tap into dormant powers. Though he enjoys his newfound abilities, he begins to suspect that there is more to the fraternity than meets the eye. So Tristan, who did you say was going first on this pitch? Uh, Bobby, you can go first on that one. All right. Um, so for my wanted movie, um, it kind of came down to a couple different rules, but I kind of had the general idea of what pitch I wanted to do. And so what I landed on is that I'm going to use the comedic director making their first serious film. Um, and I chose Paul Feig, um, who his um, like spy had way better action than it had any right to have in it. Um, so I think he could pull this off. And he also really likes working with female um, with actresses and telling their story uh, and that plays into what I wanted to do, which is replace Wesley and uh, that my lead is going to be Dakota Fanning. Um, and it, that's going to be Wendy instead of Wesley, just replace the name. My Fox is going to be played by Charlize Theron, a great action uh, actress. Um, other, I have other just members of the fraternity that'll be there. I have uh, Sean Ashmore, uh, Harry Melling, Kiersey Clemens, and Sierra Ramirez, just kind of a group of 
lower kind of people that will be part of the fraternity throughout the movie. Uh, we never see uh, Sloane, although he is referenced quite a bit um, in this movie as, a, as kind of a background, the leader of the organization. So Wendy is a female, and when she was younger, she was a rape rape victim, which made, makes rape victim, which makes her feel very powerless to, powerless to the world. Um, she has a cheating boyfriend now, which she doesn't feel like she could stand up stand up to, uh, meeting with job, etc. Um, and then one night she is uh, in a park, and she thinks she may end up may be assaulted, but is not sure. And Fox shows up, Bashari Theron, and kills the person that um, that was in front of her. Uh, she recruits her to join the fraternity and explains that they use their extraordinary abilities, which they will teach her to achieve whatever they want, gain any power and wealth they want, and put people who deserve it in their place. We now have her actually kind of willing, willingly acting as a villain a little bit more, kind of knowing what she's getting into, um, going on more like assassinations, which lead to profit for the organization. Um, and uh, but one, but one night she finds out that Fox's next target is an 11-year-old kid. Uh, who's the son of a wealth, wealthy businessman. This gives her a new perspective on what she really joined. Uh, she tries to reason with her, but she takes the shot. Uh, the, a main character fires a bullet, which curves, blocking the shot, kind of in a, just a cool action moment um, from hitting the child and, and protects, or protects the child. Um, after ensuring that the kid is safe, she goes into hiding, coming up with a plan to take down the organization. Now she is wanted by the fraternity and for disobeying orders. She then uses her time to find other members of the fraternity fraternity to kill during their assassination attempts. We get an, an initial scene showing the entire kind of planning pro process for at least one of them uh, and show that entire action sequence. And then we kind of montage with an action, uh, more kind of fun moments of her taking out the other members. Uh, this leads her, leads the fraternity to send a swarm of assassins after her. Uh, this falls right into her plan as she's rigged like a Home Alone style uh, kind of area with deadly traps. Um, so she could take multiple people out at once along with her bullet bending skills. Uh, the ones she makes it through, she fights off herself. Um, it, it eventually comes down to her and Fox, and eventually, after a cool battle, uh, she uh, kills Fox and returns to her apartment. She receives a message from the true leader of the fraternity, Sloan, saying that she will ever, for, forever be wanted and should be and she'll always be looking over her shoulder. She grins and says, I'll be, I'll be waiting. And the movie ends, cutting to black, setting up like a John Wick style, uh, style moot like series with bullet bending and crazy fun action. All right, interesting. There's something we got there. For my wanted, the rule that I use for stuff is that 100 years in the future. I think that fits well with what I'm going for with the movie. And my director is Gareth Evans, one of the greatest action directors today. He's still early in his career, so I'm, I'm so excited to see what he does next. Uh, I'll go through my cast really quick. I went a bit younger with my casting right here. Uh, so for my, I also did a gender swap on the main character. I, uh, my, her name is Willow Gibson. She's played by Isabella Bonaire in my version. I have Daphne Keene coming in as a character called the Young Fox, who's sort of an inspiration. I want it to sort of be like a next-gen kind of take on these characters. And I have Finn Wolfhard from It and Stranger Things coming in as Fuckwit. And I have Jack Quaid as the professor. Uh, <clears throat> and I also have uh, my Sloan is in the movie a little bit. Uh, we have Samuel L. Jackson coming in uh, for some small parts. 
He's going to be similar to Bobby setting up a future franchise, but I think Samuel Jackson's a fun ca character actor to kind of show up and just like do fun scenes and then set up stuff up for the future without necessarily being like a leading man right now. So like I said, it's 100 years in the future. It's set in 2121. Uh, automation and weapons technology has advanced rapidly, leaving us in a cyberpunk dystopian ran by an oppressive techno government. Uh, so we have these, the government's kind of, we're very reliant on technology and our young loner woman, Isabella Monero's character, she's kind of quiet. She's not very sure of herself. And her father is a tech billionaire who runs this huge tech company. And she's having kind of a lacking life. You know, she has an early secretary job. She's not liking it very much, not respected there. And everything's becoming automated. So she doesn't even know, am I going to have a job in a couple of days? And are they going to replace me? And she goes to a what should be a boring party with her father and his board releasing some kind of new technology. And at that party, they're attacked by gang assassins. Her father and his entire board are all killed. And... She doesn't know what to do. Her life is completely upside down now. And she goes to investigate her father's secret life and realizes, in fact, he wasn't just a techn techno billionaire. He was a supervillain, a killer. And what he was actually developing was super weapons that you can use with the supervillains, uh, weapons that you can curve the bullets, weapons that you can, all kinds of creative, interesting weapons and armor and jetpacks, things like that. Just basically supervillain technology. And she decides she's going to take up the supervillain technology, and she's going to take down the gang of supervillains who have now killed her father. So we get some great action. Uh, her primary villain at the beginning is Daphne Keene's character. She showed in X Men or in uh, Logan that she can do some really good action, and she's gotten a little bit older now, so I think she'd be even better at that. So seeing them go head to head in the first act would be very interesting. But then we do get a twist halfway through or so towards the end of the first act, where she realizes that. My father was a member of this assassins group, and there's actually this war going on between two like competing supervillain groups, and she's kind of stuck in the middle now, just like she was, or just like the character was in the comics. So why don't they bring in some elements of the comics, while still modernizing it, making it a little bit less ridiculous, a little bit less kind of, I don't know, lowbrow. The comics are kind of lowbrow, but mine. I want it to have the action. I want it to have the fun, and I want it to have the kind of larger-than-life tone of the comics, but I want it to still be a little bit more serious, something you can take a little bit more seriously, and you can root for this character taking down these these villains and these uh, assassins while still kind of questioning her morals, uh, but ultimately she's doing the right thing, and at the end, she is recruited by Sloane to join the League of Assassins, setting up for a sequel that I wish we could have gotten for the original. That's my pitch. Okay. Um, all right. So, Joe, I, again, am the deciding factor on this one. Uh, do you have any questions for these two? Uh, no, no real questions. I think I can uh, figure out what both the pitches are if you got anything. Um, yeah, my one question for Tristan is, while at first I think the idea of, like, the bullets curving being more technology-based is cool rather than, like, kind of being a weird like just like kind of mythological thing in the first wanted movie in the comics why in an age of technology are curving bullets and things like like new things that will actually help the hero i feel like that's not something that will really um defend well against like 
other technology that we've established in your world. Well, she has this new technology that kind of puts her on par with the world around her. You know, she's on par with the cyber world that she's up against now. And I think give, getting that new era technology that her father's developing gives her that edge that she would need to even be able to stand her ground against these assassins, let alone actually defeat them. So that's what I went for. It's just the technology that she uses is what gives her the upper hand and lets her be able to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe against trained assassins. Okay, I like that. So let's get into the fights. Bobby, you start because Tristan spoke last. Why is your film superior uh, to his? I just think Tristan fell into a little bit of like you You kind of criticized mine as like setting around the future. Why is it there? You put yours in the future and like Johnny said, you use basically curving bullets as this big amazing thing, which also takes away Gareth Evans' biggest strength, which is hand-to-hand -hand combat. Um, and so you're having her rely on these this technology um as a fight as, as a mechanic to fight instead of her natural abilities which would play into gareth evans style i think a little more um with mine i think it is true enough to the story of wanted that people would would recognize it but it tells a very different i think a better more compelling story and sets up a series where it's a female action hero that actually would work in my opinion um they've tried a couple times to do the um like female john wick but i think with the superpower type element of the bending bullets involved in a franchise that people at least know and are aware of. And with a lead, like I think Dakota Fanning has turned into a really great actress when she's gotten older and hasn't really had the time to shine as a lead in, especially in an action lead. I think she could really pull that off. Um, and again, it, it plays more, you have these, the super villain organizations going head to head. I didn't really love that plot line from the comic books. And then I don't know if the way you used it, where the lead never is actually in the organization. Um, yeah, Johnny's asking a couple questions, but basically I think the way you used your story where the lead is never in the organization to learn and become part of it and then kind of see how bad it is from the inside and go away, I think that takes away a big uh, plot line that I like in Wanted rather than someone who is just taking down villainous organizations you know, after seeing a mass murder. Tristan, you're muted. I think my 100 years in the future is a really good addition to this. I think it gives an explanation for the technology because it's not just curving bullets. I'm going to have her using all kinds of stuff. She has swords. She has, like, powered tech armor that lets her get head in hand with people who are much stronger than her. And I think it's something that you couldn't set in modern times because you want it to be futuristic. You want her to be able to use that technology without it feeling ridiculous you know and i think giving it that futuristic setting gives you a reason for their technology to exist and for these larger than life assassins to exist you have that kind of setting the cyberpunk future setting and i think that is key to my movie it's not just taking technology and putting it into like modern days it's it's set in the future so you, the technology makes sense and i think uh my biggest problem with yours bobby is i just don't think paul feig is a great choice i think his movies are like okay at best and i don't necessarily think him being serious is going to be a good move for him i just don't i'm not a huge paul feig fan he's made some all right movies but to me his peak is just fine and that's what your movie sounds like to me it just sounds like just fine and i think mine uses the premise of wanted and you, you argue that it's bad that she's not in the organization but i think that's kind of the draw for me she's an outsider she's not uh, she's new to the world of these assassins 
and by the end she's accustomed to it by the end she's learned how it works and she's grown as a character to learn how this how this society works and how these groups work and i just think it's very exciting i think isabella monaire could be a great pick for that she's shown some grit in sicario i think she has a huge career ahead of her so i think giving her this action franchise would be a big move for her and you have some other uh, slightly known actors in there with her to back it up but this is really going to be like a launch pad for this franchise with these characters and yeah. I think found the best balance for that i just minute. think going a going a little going a little older on it like you like elizabeth elizabella monair is like 19 and daphne keen is in her teens like somewhere around that age as well um doesn't play into the storyline of someone who's been beaten down your lead character and wanted what kind of draws them at least in what i think they do need to be kind of in the organization but it draws you it's someone who's at least had enough experience in life to have been beaten down by it so much that they um would do something like this and join it and i think that makes a more compelling lead character rather than someone who kind of feels like they're always on the right side in yours at least it creates a better dynamic and as far as paul feig goes you may have that opinion i think he's one of the better comedy directors he's missed a couple times for me but i he's he spy was a really big surprise and the serious stuff that is in it at least the action and stuff is well done that i would want in my movie um and it i think it would i th- i just I don't know for yours if I would be as compelled to follow your lead character compared to mine to move forward in a franchise. Um, and this sets up, to me, just a better better situation. It's been five minutes, Johnny, if you're good or if you want to keep going. or. You know, I've been back and forth to, for the fight, but the last couple points both of them made, I think, I, I think I've think i narrowed down my decision. All right. If you have. Yeah, I don't really, I mean... It's wherever you want to go anyways because it's your pick, but I've kind of been back and forth uh, between I don't know how I exactly feel about Paul. I feel like basically the points that they made at the end are kind of points I agree with. I don't feel like Paul Feig maybe necessarily is the best choice for this, but I also don't know how I feel about like Daphne Keene and Isabella Monet as the two kind of leads. So if you've got it locked in, then... Um, I need to check something. So, yeah, Joe, thanks for the help. Yeah, no um, <laughs> I do what I can. You know. I like, I like both casts. I, I think Dakota Fanning is great. Um, I think Charlize Theron is a great choice um, as Fox. But I like Isabella Monaire, and I really love Daphne Keene. I, I would love to see her in a Gareth uh, Evans style like action scene. I think she does have the ability to pull that off from what we've seen in Logan. I was back and forth because I I went back and forth on whether setting it 100 years in the future helped or hurt the story. I think Tristan made a good defense of that a couple of times. Paul Feig, I, I'm not a fan at all. Um, but Spy, I think, was maybe the only one he's ever made that I've kind of enjoyed. Um, and the action scenes, I agree with Bobby. Like, if you're going for a comedic director... Okay, even though his directorial debut was a drama, um, no one knows what I Am David is. So um, I I think what it came down to in the end was was a couple points Bobby made. And Bobby mentioned the beaten down character um, leading the story, but he said that to defend his movie, and I think that hurt his movie. Um, In the original Wanted, which was good, um, James McAvoy, his girlfriend cheats on him, and he's boss around at work like that's his being a beaten down character he's not a rape victim and i think if you look at a a film like uh promising young woman 
it's a little different spin on that, but you have a woman director, and I think that's important when you have that as far as a character. And I do not like the idea of Paul Feig telling the story of that woman's perspective. I don't trust a male director to do that properly. So if you went with like an Olivia Wilde as your director, I would have maybe picked yours, but I think it came down to the directing choice and maybe going too far down the beaten path of your character and then having a man tell that story. I think that's what lost you the point in the end. So I'm going to go with Tristan um, ever so slightly on this one, but I was back and forth the whole fight. You guys made up, made some really good points, but in the end, I think Bobby heard himself bringing that up and it really kind of sparked that, uh, that against his own film. So, yeah, I forgot about that part in the beginning. Thanks, I didn't really like if I had remembered that, I probably would have settled on. Yeah, that, that was something I wasn't going to completely bring up unless it was brought up in the fight, but I didn't love that aspect. And then, Bobby talked about the beaten path. I was like, well, that's a little different than the original one we saw, which worked. You know, it's 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 not like some of the revenge films we've seen. So I think if Bobby even just told the story from a woman's perspective, I would have understood it more rather than Paul Feig. Um, so with that being said, Tristan goes up two to one. And Bobby, where are we going next? Hmm. Well... It's interesting because I, I really like one of my movies, but I feel like my rule choice an uphill climb you know what i'm just i'm gonna go with uh the rocketeer um and i'll have tristan go first all right that is actually nice. me and uh johnny's co collaborative movie that we did together so i'll read that little description so the rocketeer came out in 1991 got a 66 percent on rotten tomatoes uh cliff uh played by bill campbell is a cocky stunt pilot in love with a beautiful actress jenny blake played by jennifer Connolly. When he discovers a jetpack hidden in a biplane, Cliff straps on the rocket, dons a flashy helmet, and becomes the high-flying hero, uh, the Rocketeer. Uh, but when Nazis want to use the rocket as a weapon, Cliff must use his alter ego to both protect Jenny from an evil actor played by Timothy Dalton and save the day in his period adventure based on comic books by Dave Stevens. And we actually have a live comment. Uh, it's from uh, Michael, who says, Hmm, both of them made good points, but I think Johnny missed the mark on that decision, so... Yeah, I agree, Michael. I think you should <laughs> I come come help judge the podcast. Yeah, Michael's an idiot. We've all established this. He's right. friends with Cole. All right, so for my Rocketeer, I actually use the same uh, rule that Bobby used last time. I used what must be a comedic director making their first serious film. And the comedic directors that I chose are Phil Lord and Chris Miller. They've done some pretty big uh, comedy movies, obviously, and they had almost almost made Solo, and that fell apart, so I'd like to see them get a chance to do kind of this serial-style hero throwback that they almost got to do with Han Solo. And my cast here, I just cast three people. Uh, for my Rocketeer, I have Nathan Fillion. For his love interest, I have Haley Atwell from Captain America and all the Marvel movies. And my Nazi scientist, who's leading kind of an experiment to create a Nazi superweapon, I... Brought back Timothy Dalton for that role. I think it would be really fun to see him in his old age come back and play like a crazy Nazi villain. Throwback to the Rocketeer. It'd be really fun for me. So, like I said, it's kind of a tribute to old school serial adventures. A throwback adventure story where the Rocketeer is fighting Nazis who are trying to build a super weapon. It takes itself somewhat seriously, similarly to like Indiana Jones, where the adventures are seriously, but the characters are, are kind of having some fun a little bit. You want to you want to let Phil Lord and Chris Miller have a little bit of fun. But you do want to have it be serious and have it be a drama. And I wanted to also have Nathan Fillion, since he's a little bit 
older at this point, I want it to kind of be this almost climactic finale to Rocketeer. Like he's getting ready to hang up his helmet and hang up the jetpack, but he has his one last battle coming on with his old Natsu foe, and he's going to take him down and finally settle down with Haley Atwell, hopefully at the end if they win. So like I said, it's kind of a simple adventure story. The Rocketeer is getting older, ready to hang up a mantle. However, he uncovers a plot by a surviving Nazi scientist uh, to create the ultimate superweapon to retake the globe after the Nazis have been defeated in World War II. So he takes up one last fight to take the Nazis down. I think it's good to give the Rocketeer just a fun, cool origin story, or fun, cool adventure story. I don't need an origin story. I don't want to see like, oh, how did he get the jetpack? How did he get the, you know, the helmet? I just want to see, oh, there's this guy in the classic like post-World War II pulpy era and he's going on an adventure fighting Nazis taking them down we get some drama with him getting a little older thinking he's going to hang up the, the helmet and in the end he plans to retire and ends up meeting a young uh, young kid that I would just catch as some like unknown actor that I think that Phil Lloyd and Chris Miller could find someone really good to fill those shoes and have him set up as like this could be the next Rocketeer you set up for a franchise, maybe like a Creed-style franchise, where Ethan Fillion's there as a leader, as an advisor to this new Rocketeer. So I think you have, I have a pretty good cast. I like just a simple adventure story. It doesn't have to be too serious. It doesn't have to be too complicated. You know, it's comedic directors who have a, a little level, level of fun to their eye, but they're taking themselves seriously. They're making this adventure story that is set in a serious world, and they're just, I think it sounds like a really good, fun story that has a good mix of fun and, and seriousness and that's what I think you get the most out of, out of this rule and these directors so that's my pitch alright uh, Bobby alright um, so for my rule I went with um, only include actors in their first franchise film um, which gave me a little bit of freedom I, I kind of liked going a different way with this movie uh, my director I went with Martin Campbell who um, obviously directed my favorite um, James Bond movie in Casino Royale, but he also did movies like The Legend of Zorro movies, which you kind of pulled these old that are like older characters and had a really good tone with that. I think he could tell a good story with this. Um, my uh, my Cliff Second or Rocketeer is going to be played by Wyatt Russell, um, kind of bring his his dad's charisma and energy. Um, my Betty is going to be played by Carrie Mulligan. Um, my PV uh, is going to be played by Mark Harmon, uh, who's most known now probably for NCIS, but he was in a ton of movies back in the 80s and 90s, but never has been in a franchise, but I like him quite a bit. Um, my villain is going to be is Dr. Wagner in mine, is going to be uh, Christian Burkell, who is in Man from Uncle, Inglorious Bastards, and Valkyrie, the German actor. And then uh, one of the strong like henchmen characters is going to be played by Peter Sabata, who is a German UFC fighter. Um, good action kind of guy. So kind of like Tristan, I don't want to get, I don't want to tell the origin story as the whole movie. So it's going to kind of do like what the Hulk did, where it tells the origin in the opening. Kind of just, it's a guy that he's a stuntman, that he got this jetpack, and he's been fighting against Nazis and other missions and stuff like that. This allows us to skip that and tell a new adventure. So in the open, opening sequence, we have the Rocketeer in the middle of an action scene sneaking into, the, into a Nazi base to free American soldiers during World War II. Um, while there, he stumbles upon a laboratory, but he's not sure what it's being used for. The soldiers he rescues seem to have, a fuzzy, have fuzzy memories of their time 
uh, being captured. After the rescue mission, we have scenes with him back with Jenny and, and showing their relationship as well as with PV. Uh, this trio works together to find him missions and like help kind of solve things kind of in the way that early Arrow did with the, tr uh, the Trinity with um, Arrow, Diggle, and Felicity. So we kind of have a, a team for him to work off of um, and also give Betty a little bit more to do. Uh, throughout the movie, uh, so basically, <clears throat> with connections to the military, they, they help out. Uh, but they find out that more and more soldiers keep getting taken as POWs in these various uh, Nazi bases. Uh, throughout the movie, we have flashes to the evil, the villain, the Dr. Wagner experimenting on soldiers, but it isn't exactly clear what his plan is. Um, so we have them find the next base. It's a little harder to get into. They can't easily fly in, requiring some like spy undercover work to get in to get in uh kind of more show a little variety of how they get into these bases and different types of action um again they find a laboratory and the soldiers don't remember much about it uh we have more investigation going on with the trio uh like some good character dynamics between them uh they kind of figure out like hitler at the time it was rumored that he was obsessed with brainwashing so i'm kind of bringing that into the story uh is that that was kind of their plan uh, they had somehow figured out, figured out and making all the captive soldiers do their bidding on American soil, what they couldn't do themselves. So they were kind of planning for them to be, uh, to be uh, rescued, basically, to bring them back to the U.S. so they could do what they couldn't do there undercover. Um, this leads to them kind of realize, like, finding the main base uh, and remembering that the vices he's found in the laboratories, he theorizes that they could be controlled remotely and that he could stop them all at once. Um, they find the base. We have a big third act infiltration fight scene uh, in the base with the, the main doctor being kind of guarded by especially his big henchman played by the UFC. Dang, Bobby froze. He had, he had gone a while without needing. Yeah. All right. Am I back? Yeah. Basically. Yep. Andrew, you're gone again. Oh. Got the main idea about this film. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm just finishing it up. That's the general idea. They have to find it's a, it. It just leads to a fun sequence where they have to take out American soldiers without hurting them. So they have to be creative in the action and work together. Um, and then you have them take out before I get cut off again. Take out the main doctor and the UFC guy. Okay. And it sets up that they can go on more adventures. All right. Okay. This will be an interesting one. If Joe and I. Uh... Hopefully we'll come to a decision together on this one and not be split. Um, so that being said, Joe, did you have any questions for them? No, I mean, I have a pretty good idea of both of their movies. Like I kind of, I understand both of their movies pretty well. I don't really have any extra questions for either of them. So do you have questions for them? Um, I'll start off with this. I, I like, uh, for as far as casting goes, I like Bobby's casting better for the Rocketeer, but I like, um, but I love the Timothy Dalton casting because he's so amazing as the villain in Hot Fuzz. Um, so I think casting wise, they're pretty, pretty even. Um, Martin Campbell has shown he can make good movies, you know, in the past, but obviously Green Lantern was a huge step backwards. My main question for Tristan only is um, the rules to use a comedic. At a comedic director to make a serious film and yours and I thought going into this that 
The Rocketeer was the only movie that I wouldn't take very seriously, no matter what you did with it. Why is your movie with Lord and Miller a serious film and not just a fun family movie, you know, that if they actually made it, I feel like it would be? Well, I think a movie can be fun and also serious. I think it, it can have a good time with the adventure and the action, but it can still, in its tone, take itself seriously, and it can still, in the way it's presenting its characters, take itself a little bit seriously. I don't necessarily think the rule they need to do, like, a hard drama or something. I think they just need to do something that's not a comedy, something that leans into their fun a little bit, maybe, but is still serious. And I think mine has that. It has the serious adventure kind of tone, sort of, like uh, some of the Captain America movies, but you're still having fun watching the Captain America movies, even though they're serious movies. So I kind of wanted to lean into that for mine. They're they're fun, but I still think they're serious. Okay. Um, so with that being said, again, I'll start with Bobby. Why is your movie uh, superior to Tristan's? I think mine is straight up more more fun, and you get a lot more character dynamic with him to play off of his group and i really like the trio that i have with mark Harmon, carrie mulligan and wyatt russell i think that would be a really fun kind of that would be a fun dynamic and you get kind of the pulpy like adventures taking out nazis that kind of was the origination of the comics um so this kind of mission uh you know it's a big fantastical thing of them with brainwashing and that but it plays into historical rumors and speculation of what was going on so at least there's a level of believable believability there um, and Tristan, I think you chose directors that, like, I'd like to see them expand their their horizons for sure. But you, in a more of a what should be a family movie, I would hope, with the with the Rocketeer, um, you stripped away a lot of their creativity, I believe, by not including their comedy as much. Um, and then you also chose a lead in Nathan Fillion, who is way better in comedic roles, where he is um, shows off his personality. Uh, so. I don't know kind of the tone what you're going for or if it's the tone that you the tone that i would hope i wouldn't consider to be a drama basically so i i, I question your rule choice yeah i think that you get the uh kind of comedic uh experience out with them you get the interactions mostly between Haley Stein, uh or Haley atwell and nathan billion I think that's where I want to let their comedic roots shine. Like, you get that kind of quirky relationship between them because in my version, I have Haley Atwell as kind of like his girl in the chair who's helping him out and giving him guidance and helping him on his missions and pointing out the bases and giving him blueprints to the bases and guiding him out to do the adventures. And you get... Uh, when I cast Nathan Fillion, I was thinking a lot about his short film he made when he was playing Nathan Drake from Uncharted, where he's able to have that balance of being the Nathan Fillion that we know, a little bit fun, but... You're still taking the adventure that he's going on seriously. You're still taking his fighting seriously. You're taking the threat seriously. So I think Phil Lord and Chris Miller can find that middle ground of making it a fun movie, but still having you feel very invested in what's happening, very invested in the drama, and very invested in the the villain and taking them down. So I just think my dynamic between Nathan Fillion and Haley Atwell will be really fun. And I think Timothy Dalton coming back and playing a, a villain, especially at this point in his career, will be a really good move and I think he could have a, a really, I don't know, good performance out of that role. I think that's some of the, where you'd see the seriousness come in. He could really be an intimidating threat. He's kind of deranged Nazi doctor who's creating some super super weapons and he's a genuine threat to the Rocketeer and to, not just the Rocketeer, but to the United States and to, to the world. He wants to dominate the world. That's 
the perfect balance of fun and serious that I, I felt like I was go- wanting to go for with this movie. So I think that was my real choice rationalization. I think they could inject a little bit of fun that you want from the Rocketeer, but I would really like to see them also be in a slightly more serious premise and a slightly more serious world with these fun characters. And that was my thought process going into it. So I think you have the fun of Rocketeer and Nathan Fillion's performance, but you also have the seriousness of the stakes. So I think that was my, my middle ground that I found. Yeah, and I think that middle ground strips away, like I said, a lot of the creativity that I think that Lord and Miller should have when they make, when they direct their movies. Um, like either give them something that is a play, a field that they have a wide box of things they could do. I think you're, you're pigeonholing them and what they could actually do to make this movie work. Um, and it doesn't sound to me like you added any creativity because that's kind of what they're known for to me, whether it's creative in the humor, in the meta style they do, or whether it's creative in producing with Into the Spider-Verse and um, visually and how that movie's shot. Like, it didn't seem to me like yours is breaking very much ground that I would like to see Lord and Miller do, personally. Um, it sounds like a pretty generic, like, fun movie that most directors could probably handle. So I don't think that's a great choice for them, for me. Uh, I think pulling them out of the comedy they've been doing a lot inspires them to be more creative. I think if you want... A director to be creative the first thing you can do is take them out of their comfort zone you have elements they can fall back on of the comedy but they're trying to do something outside of their norm and i think that's going to inspire a lot of creativity yeah. and i think with the setting and with the technique with sort of the serial look to it i think you could definitely get some creative visuals out of that with uh with them as directors so i think it can lead into the talents but also give them a challenge of new ground that i really want to see them go for which would inspire creativity Johnny looks like he's calling it off. Yeah, you're uh, muted. muted. All right, so most of the fight has been focused on the directing choice. I personally have my decision made up on that. I need, uh, for myself personally, before I make my decision, I need, like, quick 30 seconds from each of you. Why is your film's story better than the others? Because all this fight has basically been focused on is Lord and Miller. So, Tristan, why is your film, as the Rocketeer, why is your movie superior? And then Bobby, go after Tristan. I like the idea of the Rocketeer getting a little bit up in age and having to think about either hiding up the hat or passing it on to somebody else. I think we're getting to a time where we've moved so far beyond these serialized kind of dramas. It would be interesting to see like a question of is there still a place of these uh, kind of serial uh, fun adventures in the world now? And I ultimately think it comes out on the side of yes, we can still do this. And I think that's why mine's better. I think it has some of the meta commentary of the serialized fun and whether or not that's relevant now. And that's, that was, that's why I think mine is good. That's why I like mine. I think it just has that balance that I really wanted to strike with this movie. And for mine, I would just say, um, the, I think it plays more into what the Rocketeer was intended and sets it up for more of a, a franchise where you're actually, actually following the Rocketeer instead of setting up like a Batman beyond scenario which Tristan is doing so your lead that you cast if people really like Nathan Fillion is not your lead going forward I think mine um is a fun adventure where you have a group dynamic of like with an investigation type you know some type of some level of intrigue going on of what are these scientists doing which plays into the old pulp type of comics you get adventure of them going going to Germany you get various types of action whether it's free, he's free to fly and use his rocket because it's a kind of exposed base that he could sneak into, or the second one that I set up where, okay, this is really enclosed. What we need to get into is deep in, like we, 
there's really no use for this rocket until a certain point. Like we need to get past this point. So you get a team working together a little bit, whether it's just prepping him or, you know, PV go, sneaking in a, 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 with him type of stuff. Like, I think it just sets up a various, various fun action scenes, um, as well as a intriguing old pulpy wartime comic type story that I think fits the Rocketeer and can set up for a lot more adventure. All right. So Joe, this is one we're deciding on together. I'm just going to ask you before we go first, um, how strongly are you leaning towards one or the other? I'm going to give it like a percentage. I say I'm somewhere between 65, 35 and 70, 30. Okay. You're a little tad stronger than me. I'm probably closer to like 55, 45 or 60, 40. So I'll give my opinion first and we'll see if Joe agrees with me. I was back and forth again on this one. Um, I think Bobby did a good job in the argument, um, staying away from talking about like the stories until the end there. I wanted to kind of hear a bit about it and attacking Lord and Miller and Tristan didn't really get a lot of chance to fight for his movie. I thought that was a good strategy in the, in the fights and Tristan kind of fell into that trap. So for me, I think if Tristan picked a different director, like I, I think like a Ben Stiller, um, someone who's done comedic work, but has shown like, um, adventure type style or some action with whether it's Tropic Thunder or the adventure in Walter Mitty even I think that would have been a stronger choice but when I think of the tone of the Rocketeer I think of more of the tone of well I'm not a big fan of it I think more of the tone of like a solo type movie where it's fun characters yes you can argue it's more of a serious film but it has comedic elements and Phil or Lord Miller were kicked off that film because they wanted to go more of a comedic route and I think that hurts when you're when you're picking those directors when the reason that they couldn't make a um more serious adventure was they wanted to stick to more comedic um routes i would have liked a more fun rocketeer and while i don't know if martin campbell is exactly the right choice for that because when he tried to do that he made green lantern um i I think at least martin campbell i know he can do good action i know he can produce good characters and i don't necessarily trust either Nathan Fillion, I never watched um, Firefly, and so otherwise Nathan Fillion is more of a comedic actor to me, and then you paired him with Lord and Miller as like the, as your rule choice. So I think, coming down to rule choice, I think Bobby won, and that was kind of my deciding factor, so even though, like, Overlord didn't work for me, because I hate when they bring in, like, brainwashing and super soldiers into Nazis, um, and I think Tristan could have really hit on that hard, um, he didn't, so I think overall... I would lean towards Bobby, but I'm closer. So if Joe, you're more decided than me, um, we'll, we'll see what you what you have to say. Uh, before I give my point, I will say we do have a live comment, and Michael said again uh, he was glad Tristan brought up the Captain America movies. Was about to say that Captain America: Winter Soldier is a good example of a fun movie with a serious tone. My thing is Tristan's movie didn't really remind me of Captain America; it reminded me of another movie. I will say it's hard for me, especially if I were to go into a Ro- Lord and Miller Rocketeer movie and I got kind of a somewhat of a drama with comedic elements, I feel that, and not just like a full-on comedy, unless it's like mind-blowing amazing, and I just don't feel like a Rocketeer movie that's drama with comedic elements is going to be mind-blowing, I think I'm going to walk out of that movie disappointed because I'm going to expect it to be funny, and it's just like kind of funny. Like it wasn't like extremely funny. I don't know if I want Nathan Fillion. Like especially if I want a dramatic Rocketeer movie, again, I don't think Nathan Fillion exactly fits with that uh i do like wyatt russell as um as the lead of the rocketeer and i like i just liked his cast better overall 
Martin Campbell did mess up with Green Lantern, but that was one movie, and I don't feel like this movie's going to be super special effects heavy, and I think that's part of what ruined Green Lantern. But yeah, the movie, Tristan's movie, just felt exactly like a copy of is uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, especially with you have the thing at the end of him passing it down to the next generation. And so because of that, and a few other reasons, I am giving the point to Bobby. I, I think what that came down to mainly for me especially was the Rocketeer out of the seven that we picked was the one that I wouldn't ever take seriously. Yeah. So I think direction and pitched it more. If it was Lord Miller but he chose a different rule, I think he could have pitched a really great movie, but because of the rule choice, I think that's what really really lost Tristan the point there. Um, so Tristan, the score is tied 2-2. Two to two. Where are we going next? Let's go with the one that I think me and Bobby probably have very detailed and long pictures on. It's Superman Returns. And uh, uh, you know what? I'll go first on this one. Bobby went first last time. All right. This is uh, Johnny's rule, so he will give the backstory on it. And because I'm not pitching this one, I'm going to take this moment to go to the bathroom. So, or Because I'm not judging, I guess. I yeah, I'm, a, I'm excited for this. I realized the three movies that I chose myself were 2008, 2008, and 2006. Um, but we're going with Superman Returns from 2006, which got a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is probably a little too high. Um, well, Lex Luthor, played by everyone's favorite uh, family man, Kevin Spacey, plots to destroy him once and for all. The Man of Steel, played by Brandon Routh, returns after a long absence to a much-changed world. Lois Lane, played by Kate Bosworth, who remembered that, not me, has moved on with her life. And society has learned to survive without him. Superman must find a way to reconnect with her and find his place in the world that may no longer need him, even though the film starts off with him literally saving an airplane. So um, that is Superman Returns. We basically went with this to give you guys a reason to do Superman. Um, but we'll see how it goes. So Tristan, you said you're going first, correct? Yeah, I'll go first. All right, so give us uh, your pitch. I don't know if Joe can hear us, so maybe maybe wait for him to come back. Um, so quick before Joe gets back, thoughts on Superman Returns as a movie, Tristan? I think it's a mixed bag. Uh, like I said, the percentage is a little bit high. I think it had some good ideas. It kind of tried to humanize the character and get us a look into what this guy's life is like, but I don't necessarily think it worked. It was kind of boring, and plus you've got like four Predators involved in one movie, so it's kind of hard to watch it now. <laughs> Yeah, that is true. Um, and Bobby, what are your what are your quick thoughts on Superman Returns? What are your feelings on that film? I liked it the first time I saw it, even though I thought it was a little like they didn't Superman didn't do anything. And then ever since then, it's just kind of gotten it's just mediocre to me. Like I can watch it, but it's just hard to watch Kevin Spacey now, so that makes it almost unwatchable. And also Brian Singer, so you know what? Yeah. But as a movie itself, I like Brandon Routh, even though they didn't give him a ton to do in it. I feel like. Um, and it just, they didn't do enough with Superman, I feel like, as a kid, like, give him a villain to fight. But it, it's kind of an interesting character piece, just not really a good Superman movie. I, I think what this the film kind of fails at is what Tristan's always kind of saying with his um, reasoning for liking a lot of the Snyder films is he respects a movie that, even if it fails, at least takes a chance rather than a film that's very down the middle. So, like, Man of Steel, I think, took a lot of chances. And it's a much more entertaining product than Superman Returns, which everything was so safe and down the middle. So I'm looking for someone to take some goddamn chances here. 
So let's see, Tristan, what do you got for Superman Returns? So for my Superman Returns, I'll start off and say that I pretty much made an adaptation of All-Star Superman, one of the more popular versions of Superman as a character, but it hasn't really been adapted well into the big screen. So I want to take that core plot basis and kind of cut some of the fat off and really focus in on what made that arc interesting. And the rule that I use is that I'm going to use a cameo for one of the characters. Uh, I'll go into that when I go to my plot, but I think this movie fits Kevin pretty Spacey. well. <laughs> you know it, Kevin Spacey and Brian Singer, welcome back. But speaking of, my Lex Luthor is not Kevin Spacey. It is Giancarlo Esposito. Obviously from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul at Hell Universe of things, I think you make a really intimidating Luthor. My Lois is Jennifer Carpenter. You know her from Dexter. She played Dexter's uh, sister in that show. I think she has kind of the spunk that you'd want from a Lois. I think she kind of fits that like Margot Kidder kind of look too. And uh, Superman is played by James Marsden. You'd know him from uh, Westworld. He was really good on Westworld. I think he has a good shot now of getting another super superhero role. He didn't get to shine very well as... Uh, the character in X-Men, so I think it would be cool to give him another chance, and I think he has that all-American kind of square jaw look that I want out of superhero or out of Superman. So like I said, it's an adaptation of All-Star Superman. So we start out with a ship testing solar energy that receives a strange transmission jamming their signals. Now it's hurling towards the sun, and they are rescued at the last second by Superman. However, his prolonged exposure to radiation so close to the sun causes his cells to begin decaying, and he has uh he's so he takes this opportunity to return to earth and not only protect it but say his final goodbyes to those that he loves and cares about and people who are important to him so we get back and i'll get into my cameo here in this scene because superman is working alongside dr ray palmer you might know him as adam but he's played by Brandon Roth in my version of this. He's just going to be kind of a scientist. He's helping out Superman in uh, his research on this technology and why he's sick and what's going on. So they're basically working together to kind of solve his health problems and his fading powers. And they translate the message that uh, went to the ship and caused it to crash. And it turns out it's from, it's an old Kryptonian. And it's a message essentially saying that Krypton has returned and the Kryptonians come to Earth to claim it as their own. So now Superman has to make a choice between supposedly Krypton, Krypton coming back and the Earth that he loves so much. And him and Ray Palmer also together develop a super serum that if he gets low on power and needs to use it, it'll give him his powers back, but only for 24 hours, similar to the serum developed in the All-Star Superman comic book. So we get an action scene here when Perry White's retirement party is attacked by Lex Luthor's goons. Uh, Superman makes a triumphant return, and it's a really cool, tight action scene here. I think we get to see Superman saving people, defeating villains, not destroying tons of blocks worth of buildings, but rescuing people and saving people and capturing the villain. And it's also the first time, it's also the first time that Superman and Lois have seen each other in a very long time. So the tension is kind of there immediately. Because like I said, Superman's returning to Earth. He's been gone for a little bit. So they meet up on the roof of the Daily Planet. And then they have this nice scene where he comes up and he says, nice night for a flight. And she said, I'm not that kind of girl anymore, Smallville. And they have this kind of bonding moment where they're reconnecting about their 
like this one of the scenes in Superman Returns, I think is actually good. One of the couple of scenes. So I wanted to pay that forward here and adapt that again. But in this scene, similar to All-Star Superman, he lets her know uh, his secret identity. He says, oh, I'm actually Clark Kent, and I have this deadly disease. I only have maybe a year to live, so I didn't want to live in secret anymore. I wanted to tell you the truth and let you know that I'm Superman, that I've been Superman this whole entire time. So he essentially confesses his love for her, confesses his true identity, and brings her to the Fortress of Solitude and has her kind of staying there with him. So meanwhile, Clark Kent is meeting with Lex Luthor for an interview. Lex Luthor is on death row, about to be executed for crimes, and Clark is kind of mixed on that. As Superman, he's not a fan of killing, so he doesn't really like that death is being used as a solution to problems. So he's having this interview with Lex Luthor, essentially, to try and get this one-on-one conversation between Superman and Lex Luthor, even though he doesn't know it's Superman, get this conversation where he can try and see, is there a heart to this villain that I've been fighting against all these years? Is there something deeper to this guy that I've known how many years now? And that's a big, big part of the All-Star Superman comic books is they get to humanize Lex Luthor a little bit in this moment where he's facing certain death. But his interview's interrupted by an attack from a Kryptonian who comes and says, now it's time, we're taking Earth, it's ours. So Superman has to fight this new Kryptonian, but as we know, his powers are weakening, are weakening. so he has the superhero serum with him, and Lois takes it, and this second also Superman, we get a super Lois in a really awesome Lois costume, and the two of them are kind of side by side trying to hold back and fight this new Kryptonian. And meanwhile, Lex Luthor has the serum of his of his own. He stole some from Clark while he was there in that interview. And Lex Luthor takes it and becomes an evil supervillain of Lex. But so Clark, Lois fight Lex in this battle where Lex is superhero. He has Superman's powers finally. He's always wanted to be on the same level as Superman and now he is. And similarly to the comic, having this power, having this perspective really lets him see things from a new a new angle. He sees the universe as its whole, not just his individual experience. He sees everything connected. And he has this sort of change of heart in a moment when he sees the new Kryptonian coming down and just pummeling Superman over and over and over and over again. And he decides, you know what, I can't let this happen. These people are going to destroy the entire planet. And I might be bad, but I'm not that bad. And now that I've seen how connected we all are, I really am kind of realizing that I've, I could have done so much that I didn't do, similar to his arc in the comic. So... Differently, though, we do have all three of them now teaming up. So we have Super Lois, Superman, and Lex, all with powers, fighting this new Kryptonian. And in the final moments, Superman has to sacrifice himself by flying this new Kryptonian up into space. And he says, look, I'll be gone for so long, and with this disease, I might not make it back. Similar to the ending of the comic. So he says goodbye and leaves. And then the last scene, it's a couple years later, Lois is in the Daily Planet doing work. Just looking out the window, seeing the sun come through, and hoping one day Superman's going to come back. That's that pitch. Okay. Um, interesting pitch. I have some thoughts. Bobby, I'm interested to hear what you are doing there. Yeah, I'm, uh, I wasn't sure because I, I had this idea for mine with this rule choice that I would like to see. And I think Tristan's pitch gives me a hole to actually hopefully try to take this one, but... So the rule for mine is that uh, this movie is going to be told from a, from, the, from a civilian's perspective. Um, I want this to be almost like a um, 
Joker movie that DC is making where it's kind of a one-off movie um, told from the perspective of who I'm going to tell you. Uh, my director is going to be, uh, I don't know if I found his name, Ben Zetlin, who did Wendy and Beast of the Southern Wild. Basically, it's a good up-and-coming kind of director that can tell character-led stories. Uh, my Superman, who obviously isn't my lead, is going to be played by Matt Bomber, or I think Bomer Bomber. Um, my Lex Luthor, uh, who is very important to my story, um, although not seen in person quite a bit, is Denzel Washington. Uh, I think he gives off the energy that I need for mine. Um, my uh, Mike character is going to be my lead, is going to be played by uh, Gatton Metazaro, who is Dustin from Stranger Things. Um, and his little sister, Lily, is going to be played by Julia Butters, who is the little girl in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, that has that scene with Leo. I think she brings kind of the sass and the kind of fun brother-sister dynamic that I want throughout my movie. And then you can kind of fill the rest with, you know, teen actors or like that, you know, it doesn't really matter too much as far as his friends, but it's more of their interactions uh, as brother-sister. But so a kid or well, a teen at this point who grew up being told stories of Superman and is a big fan um, has now heard that Superman is returning. He had disappeared years later with, or years beforehand with no little to no expl explanation. Lois Lane published a story that he was protecting us from afar but needed to find answers somewhere for, him, for himself near his home planet. He sees the stories about him returning, but in the time that Superman had been gone, Lex Luthor had become kind of a mogul um, and was very influential, especially um, in the news and in social media and posting videos and kind of defaming and slandering Superman ever since then. Um, and so you now have a group of people who not, didn't grow up with Superman who have just heard how bad he is and a kind of a group that the, some of the older generation who may have seen him and his uh, success and his well, him as a, as a superhero. Um, Lois Lane still publishes pieces, but the Daily Planet and news um, outlets like that are kind of dying and Lex is kind of controlling the the story and the, um, uh, forget the word, but you get what I'm saying there. Um, so general mistrust. So we, we follow his, him and his sister, who he, who he is taking care of quite a bit, and you kind of just see a character thing, and there's the story going on in the background of Lex with Superman being back, and you see him a lot throughout the movie, whether it's on someone's phone, whether it's on the TV, whether they're at a speech of his, uh, talking about how you know much of a, a a bad thing it is that Superman's back and that it, that he is a threat to to the uh, the world because Lex is kind of trying to position himself to run for president, even though it's not kind of said. You get that he's kind of that's what he's leading toward. That's what he kind of wants to get to, um, and he knows if Superman's around that he would not be able to pull that off. Um, <clears throat> so we the character piece is him interacting with a lot of his friends as this is. Uh, unfolding and you're just following a lot of their uh, like see how people's uh, kind of thought processes are changed based on someone who can who's influential whether it's someone like Lex whether it's you know a social media influencer who can kind of uh, really influence the younger generation and especially through social media but this basically yeah I kind of got thrown off of my thing here because uh, something messed up on my printer, but essentially the, you have, you see throughout the movie, the arcs of people really leaning and leaning into Lex and how influential that can be. But it leads into at the end, you have a fight in Metropolis that 
this these uh, characters get caught up in, and it's videos and people taking get shown on social media, um, and also just you you see the fight happening from the perspective of the civilians of Superman during this big battle try with Lex Luthor who has his mech suit because um, Lex is um, trying to take out Superman, and you see Superman saving civilians constantly as he's bat- as he fights. So you have this big battle going on, but he's going out of his way to make himself vulnerable to get hit and be um, injured by Lex, but he wanted to make sure that he saved buildings and saved people throughout the fight. Um, this gives people a different perspective on Superman. Uh, you get that those videos released worldwide, and you kind of re- reveal Lex. Um, kind of messed up. You kind of get the general idea of mine. It, I flew through a few things because, like I said, something went wrong with my uh, with my printer here, but. Yeah, civilians, you get a character-based thing where you're really just focusing on two interesting characters uh, following a plot of Lex influencing a lot of people. You get a lot of speeches. So Denzel, I wanted someone who is very commanding, but very personable and and uh, charismatic, who people would believe. So he's a Lex that people would, sit, would if they're just seeing him ta- speak for the first time, especially not knowing him as a person, but just what he puts out there and what he wants people to see that people would believe him. Um, so I want him to be, be very manipulative in that way. So I think Denzel could pull that off. All right. Interesting. Joe, you have any questions for them? No, I think I basically know what both of their pitches are. I think I'm... Um, yeah, I think I, I have a good understanding of both pitches. Um, except a um, couple things with Tristan. One, who you, me- you mentioned the Kryptonian fighting Superman. What character is that? Uh, it's similar to the All-Star Superman comic book. They just begin with these new Kryptonians who are coming in to uh, take back Earth as their own. Got it. So, like, a, I don't remember the name. Maybe Atlas or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And then um, my other thing with Tristan's is, okay, so you used the rule to bring back a character from the original movie. What was uh, – who did you use there? I used – Brandon Ralph came back and did a cameo as himself. I didn't, I didn't realize it was a character. I thought it was just one of the actors comes back and has a cameo. Oh, no, I him as, yeah. as Ray Palmer, my, I thought. My, yeah. other, my other question, yeah, um, my main question he with plays that is on the CW. James Marsden, right, as your Superman? Do you, do, yeah. do you not remember he was in the original one, too? He was. He was the Lois Lane's yeah. new husband. Yeah, he was. Okay, yeah. so I was just like, I thought that's who that you were using, and then you said Brandon Ralph, and I was like, oh, I guess he wanted two people from the original movie. Um but my main question is this, because I don't want to hit you at the end for this without you really defending it, is when I think of the problems with Superman Returns, as I mentioned, is everything is very bland and very down the middle and kind of safe. I think the epitome of that is James Marsden, as far as everything I've seen from him. He is not, like, nothing he's ever done screams, yeah, this guy has a lot of charisma, he's a great actor, but nothing he screams is like boring. He's very down the middle in everything he does. Why James Marsden, out of anyone you could have cast for Superman, why is that your choice? Well, I think he looks great for the part, and I think you want to have the story be the risk, but I think having Superman be a down-the-middle character is kind of in character with Superman. I think he has to be that kind of reliable-looking guy that is very, like, an all-American-looking guy. So I think he has that kind of reliable look to him that I think looks very Superman, but I think the story around him is what's more interesting. I think Superman as a character is very interesting, but I think he works really well as this, I don't know what you want to call it, like a all-American guy. He has that kind of look. He's a Clark Kent. He's the stand-up guy who's wanting to do the right thing, 
and he's in a story that's very interesting. He's surrounded by interesting characters, and I think sure Marsden himself is a little bit of a down the middle casting, but I think that fits. He wants Superman to be the one guy in this world that is reliable, a reliable guy. Okay, I get that. I wanted you to uh, address that, and I was hoping you'd get to it in the fight, but I was like, oh well, we'll give him a chance on it. So I like that answer a lot. Um, Tristan, why is your movie superior uh, to Bobby's? I think I really want a Superman movie. I understand the rule was civilian's perspective, but I think you could have used that for a ton of different movies and it would have been better. I think you can tell from like the reactions to Justice League, the reactions to Man of Steel, that people are hungry for a really good Superman movie, and we haven't quite gotten one yet. We've gotten stuff that's good in one direction or the other, but I want to give something that's just a really genuinely really good Superman movie, and that's what I try to do. I try to take one of the most acclaimed comic book arcs ever, one of the more easily the most acclaimed Superman comic books in, in, in the list of Superman books. And I want to take that, turn it into a movie, give us a Superman we've always wanted to do, the one who's saving people, the one who's saving the world, the one who ultimately sacrificed himself at the end to save the planet, the one who's inspiring people to do better, the one who, even the worst villain of all villains, Lex Luthor, can, through the power of Superman, be inspired to do good. And I think that's what I want out of Superman, someone who can be inspirational, and I want to see true Superman in action. I want to see one of his best arcs ever put to the big screen. I want to see his villains out there front and center. I want to see Clark Kent front and center. And you have like one scene of Superman save people. And I understand that's a rule, but I think this is not the movie to use that rule for. I think you want to see Superman. You want to see him in action. You want a great Superman movie. And mine sounds like one. And yours just sounds like a YouTube short film or something. So with mine, I, I think. It, it's really a, a character piece on what like Lex Luthor can really do if he existed to the public. And that's what I was, was really intriguing to me because he has so much time without Superman there now. It's not going to be exactly how many years. It's going to be longer than he was gone for in Superman Returns where he could control the, the story um, and has become this thing. And I want to see Denzel Washington as, as a, you know, Lex Luthor like that. Um, and also you have a, you have showing the, because Superman himself can be boring. It's it's one of the problems that you get from making a Superman movie. I really like Man of Steel, but people didn't like that he was dark. If he went too light, people wouldn't necessarily like that. I think your movie goes a story that works really well in the comics. It really does, but it's one that I don't think adapts too well in the in the big screen in a few aspects. Um, you have the tone of Superman dying basically from a disease, which is played pretty seriously. Um, you get the whole arc with him and Lex and like trying to be big dramatic and like how can can he have heart so that he doesn't get killed on death row and you have a weird crazy ending with three with lex luther lois lane and superman with superman's powers fighting aliens who have not been established through the movie as a villain so you don't really have that throughout the movie so i think you try it's like it tries to tell a character piece but then falls into like my only problem with logan is what they do with like the clone Yours is that problem times a million with that ending. It works in a comic book. It does. It's fine. It, I don't think on the big screen seeing um, John Carlo Esposito as Lex Luthor flying around with Superman along with Lois Lane works very well for the movie you're telling. Um, and I just think mine is a more, it, like, I'd like to see a character piece as a one-off. There's still, like, you know, you, they're going to make Superman movies eventually. They're going to continue on somehow and have him out there. I want a one-off that shows the civilians reaction and how that how it affects the world on a character level to have this type of superhuman 
uh, alien exists and for a villain that's as charismatic and manipulative as Lex Luthor to exist. So that's, as a one-off story, I find that a lot more interesting than yours that falls into a lot of comic book tropes, especially at the end. Well, when I go see a comic book movie, I want some comic book fun at the end, you know? And I think you you said this is a character piece, but it's not. Like, you're not studying any characters. You're just generally looking at what do what does this big group of people react to Lex Luthor? That's it's more, like- so it's a, society, a societal look more than a character. Like, you're following One characters, minute. so you're following the strong characters. But, yeah, it's a societal look, you know, wording-wise on, on what it would look like. And the reason that I went with All-Star Superman is that it does a great job tributing all the arrows and telling the Superman, it has the darkness of him get, having this deadly disease. It has the almost cosmic stuff of him having these way, way bigger powers. And, but it also has the humanity of him saving people, of him trying to inspire people. And I think if you're going to make a superhero movie, a Superman movie, you want it to find that middle ground. Like we said before, we've had stuff that's way too campy, way too dark. And All-Star Superman found that middle ground. And I think you adapt that. You give James Mangold the reins to that. He was able to take x-men and a franchise that seemed like it was dead and give us that one last great hoorah to logan you know and but then I think you so, you, so you're I trying to tell the story and then it just it's so bizarre to me and it would take anyone that knows superman and turns out of it to see both james marsden and brandon routh in it that's really weird to me i don't love the choice of james marsden as superman as your lead he would have been a solid superman like instead of brandon routh if they had went that route but i i liked routh too but when that movie came out Right now, I don't see him fitting. I don't see anything he's done telling me that he would be a lead that would go into the the depth that you want to of him of Superman dying at that point um, with this illness to show any level of any more level of emotion than like a surface. Like he's he's charismatic and fine, but the story you're telling I think calls for a better actor than James Marsden personally. And also, again, that ending to me is just, it's the Logan problem times a million. I don't love that for a movie. I think James Marsden is a good actor. You saw in Westworld that he can pull that emotion off. Even when he's playing a robot, he's very emotional. And you have that, even in Westworld, there's an arc where he realizes he's going to die and he has to sacrifice himself. And you get that emotional powerhouse from someone that you necessarily wouldn't think would have it. And I think James Marsden could really power bring that out. And I think James Mangold could bring it out of him. He brought it out of Hugh Jackman. He really made Logan into an awesome, awesome, awesome character that was potential in all the other previous movies, but never quite hit that perfect balance of what Wolverine is. And I think he could find that here. He could take a character, Superman, who's been done well in other movies, but never done perfectly. And I think he could find that balance and make him done perfectly. And that's what I want. That's what I picked him for. That's what I picked also Superman. That's what I picked James Marsden. I want a great Superman movie. Mine just sounds like a great Superman movie. Yours sounds like a YouTube video. Except you have fun, like... Julia Butters in steals like almost the entire movie of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with one scene, and I think her dynamic with an older brother being the witty, like if he tries to like wait, what you know, try to listen to Lex, she's like yells at him type of stuff and and puts him in his place. I have that like stern younger sister, almost like the the daughter in uh, Nice Guys, but not not to like a super comedic level, but as far as the intelligent little girl, like I like following those type of characters who are being fed these lies and stuff and i want denzel to be lex Luthor. i think that would be amazing and i'd like for him i think one of the ways he would do it is where he wouldn't return um type of thing he's not going to be coming back back because it's a one-off and he gets to essentially just make to do a ton of monologues which he's great at um and manipulate people and be charismatic so he can do it relatively shoot it relatively quickly um and then you still get the mech suit superman battle at the end it may not show them up close 
like to, like um so their perspective but you still see a really good fight um you so you get some superman action at the end and you see superman doing what everyone kind of complained about which is to save people as he's fighting actively be harmed to go out his way to get hurt because he wants to save people and, and humans you know and Just i think that's good to sell it's been way yeah, all the pros and yours are pros and mine, so I feel like mine is just a better Superman movie. Yours sounds like a Lex Luthor returns. I don't know. It doesn't sound like a Superman movie. It, it it's just Superman like returning, a... and it's a yeah. Yeah, different Mine take. sounds better. Joe, do you know what you're doing here? Yeah, I think I know where I'm... Else? I mean, it's your call, but I think I know where I'm leaning. I think I know where I'm going, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. I'm like... Fifty-one forty-nine. I think uh, Bobby's cast is a lot better than Tristan's. I don't know. I still don't know how I feel exactly. Like I understand his defense, but I still don't really know how I feel about James Marsden as Superman. And then you compound that with Brandon Routh also showing up. I think Giancarlo Esposito is like almost too like villainous in a way for Lex. I feel like you need some of that charisma and some of that like. Um, but I mean, I could see it working, so it's not like that big of a negative. But I feel like Denzel is a lot better. But I just, my thing is, I just don't know if Bobby did enough with the concept of being from a civilian's perspective about being from these little kids. I almost think that role would have worked better in this movie if they were adults, potentially. Uh, I'm not sure, maybe someone who knew Clark. But I just, I just don't know if his plot and his movie and stuff could keep my attention for two hours. And I, and I'm not sure how I feel with. You know, like an evil, or not evil, but a super-powered Lois and a super-powered Superman and a super-powered Lex all teaming up, working together against, you know, Kryptonians. And I'm, like I said, I'm 51-49, but I think at the end of it, I'm slightly, very slightly leaning towards Tristan. Yeah, I gotta start off with saying I'm super disappointed in both pitches. I, I Superman has one of the most underrated rogues galleries of villains, and these two didn't utilize that in any way, shape, or form, and that's very upsetting to me. I think if you really wanted to stick with the Superman returning, you could have easily had Lex Luthor create Cyborg Superman, who is giving Superman this evil reputation, so then Superman comes out of retirement or comes back to fight him, and, and both of you kind of failed to really do anything interesting with the character. Lex Luthor works better for um, the like evil... Like, if you know James Bond, he works more as, like, the main brains behind the organization than has, like, a main henchman. I hate the idea in both of your movies of Lex Luthor fighting Superman. That's always the worst part of any of the comics he's in. Um, but a decision that has to be made. James Marsden was a terrible pick. Um Superman. Matt Bomer was, I guess, a little better. I, I think he has a look and at least has shown charisma before. Bobby's story isn't quite, it doesn't quite pan out. Tristan at least stuck to a comic, but that comic is very comic-y. It's not a, a movie that I'd want to see directly made. I think if Tristan even just threw in Bizarro or any, like, Metallo or someone else to, like, be the more interesting villain that Superman's fighting, I think his pitch would have been stronger rather than sticking way too much to the comics. I hate Lois Lane as a super Lois Lane. I think that's the dumbest thing it's ever done in comics. It has a lot of Iron Man 3 vibes with Piper Potts, which was the worst part of that movie. Um, and Tristan, Tristan's just, his whole movie kind of gave me a lot of that 
Like the, it just seems like a movie that would completely fall apart in the final act. And at least Bobby's, to me, sounds more like Godzilla, which is not a great film because okay. it's from a civilian's point of view. But the one thing that everyone out of that movie came out and said is, everything with Godzilla is cool. I wish I saw more Godzilla. Bobby's would have been similar to that, but actually shown more Superman. I think he plays that out well. I like the idea of, of Lex Luthor at least in a a mech suit better than the idea of Lex Luthor with Superman powers. So for me, I think I'm going with Bobby on this one, even though I think both pitches were pretty weak. I think overall maybe these were two of your weakest pitches of the night, and that's not what I expected going into Superman. I thought both of you would come at it a little stronger. We, um, we brought our best pitches last time we fought with Superman. Yeah, last I mean. I thought both both choices were really boring for it. I think last time when you picked uh, Michael B. Jordan as Superman, that was way more interesting. I think there was so much room to work with here, and I think both of you went very down the middle, very boring stories of Superman. And it, both of you really, really embellished the – or really uh, embraced the Superman Returns energy in your pitches, and that's not what I was looking forward to, so – uh, overall, though, I guess Bobby's was the one that seemed like it would fall apart less to me. So I'm going to go with his uh, again. So Bobby, you squeaked that one out, but barely. And I want to see some stronger pitches from both of you going forward because Bobby takes the 3-2 lead. And Tristan, we need a win to stay alive. So where are we going? I mean, I guess we'll go to something else then. I usually should have won that one against Bobby's Chiggy movie, but let's pick something else here. Uh Johnny left. Enter something on the scoreboard because I stuck on. Let's go with Incredible oh. Hulk. There we go. All right, so yeah, All you right. guys are. You guys if, are. If this comes down to Men in Black, this is gonna be. Tristan, you gotta win this one based on Bobby's confidence. Yeah, you guys are in my hands the rest of the night because I'm. I picked uh, Incredible Hulk and Men in Black. So, Incredible Hulk came out in 2008. You got a Rotten Tomato score of 67 percent. Scientist Bruce Banner, played by Edward Norton, desperately seeks a cure for the gamma radiation that contaminated his cells and turned him into the Hulk. Cut off from his true love, Betty Ross, played by Liv Tyler, and forced to hide from his nemesis, General Thunderbolt Ross, Banner soon comes face to face with a new threat, a supremely powerful enemy known as the Abomination. Alright, so who's going first? I'll go first on this one. Alright. So for my Incredible Hulk, I brought a director we've heard from earlier today, Lee Waddell. I think he could pull off that mix of horror and action that I really think is the best you can get out of the Hulk. And the rule that I'm using is to put a comic book character on the map, and I'll bring that character up once we get going a little bit. And my Bruce Banner is played by Oliver Jackson Cohen. You would know him from The Hunting of uh, Blind Manor. He was, I think he has that kind of I don't know, energy that I think you get out of, like, a Bruce Banner. I will go through a couple of my other casts in a second, but I want to say my Bruce Banner, I think the best version of the Hulk and Bruce Banner is the one who is able to sort of find the balance between being Hulk and being Bruce Banner. So mine's kind of a journey of him discovering that balance. And in order to find it, he's traveling through the icy tundras of Antarctica to try and find the Savage Land. If you know the Savage Land from Marvel Comics, it's this preserved prehistoric jungle that exists in Antarctica where there's dinosaurs, there's all kinds of prehistoric creatures, and a lot of classic Golden Age characters root themselves in that era. So I have... He finally arrives at the Savage Lands, and 
there he runs into Kazar, who is a Golden Age Marvel character. You mentioned before the show, Timely Publications. And under Timely, they published this character, Kazar, who was uh, lived in a savage land, and he was kind of a hunter who lived off the land. So I'm bringing him in, and I'm having him played by Channing Tatum. I think he has that kind of buff look that I think could really go for Kazar. And Kazar, the gifted hunter, he's living in the savage land. He's attacked by dinosaurs, and the Hulk emerges in this great action scene where you're getting the Hulk fighting dinosaurs in the savage land. And I think you got to get some great action out of the Hulk. Uh, we've mentioned it in previous episodes and in our live stream, if you watched on Twitch, that we haven't gotten a ton of action out of the Hulk in the recent uh, Marvel movies. So I want to give him some good action scenes here. And I think having the Hulk fight dinosaurs is just the right amount of camp that I want out of a movie like this. But it still could be very exciting in the action. So essentially, he saves Kazar, who promises to help train him to live off the land and find this spiritual balance to get his get himself uh, saved between this balance of Bruce Banner and the Hulk fighting. He wants him to be able to find this middle ground. But his public appearance saving Kazar put him back on the map, and now there's plenty of hunters coming out, including the one big hunter that I really wanted to bring in for this as the Hulk's villain, Kraven the Hunter. We've seen him in Spider-Man comics all the time. He's one of Spider-Man's biggest enemies, but... He hasn't gotten any love in the movies. He hasn't really shown up in any of the TV shows. He's never been a character that's a household name. He's just one that comic character, comic fans know, and I've always wanted to see more of him. So I pretty much have Kraven the Hunter hunting down the Hulk, and the Hulk is getting trained by Kazar. We have these battles where they're living off the land, and Kraven the Hunter, I think, is a really interesting foil to the Hulk because the Hulk is this big brute force kind of guy, and Kraven the Hunter has this smaller kind of controlled attacks you know he's going to be climbing around through the trees and taking the hulk out from the distance and trying to keep himself keep himself away from the hulk and we'll get that dichotomy of these two very very different characters having to come head to head and yeah we get the hulk trained by kazar living in the savage lands taking on craven the hunter and we get this just contained story of the hulk trying to survive well figuring out this balance between who is bruce banner who is the hulk and fighting off Craven the Hunter. And that's my pick. I just I think that's a great adventure story with the Hulk. All right, just quick question. All right, just quick question before Bobby starts. Who is playing Craven in your movie? Did you say? Or... Oh, yeah, I have Jeffrey D. Morgan as my Craven the Hunter. Okay. All yeah, right. you do. All right. That's the name I wrote down, hoping, but I wasn't sure. God. All, right. All right, I'm going to be honest. Joe, you're making the final decision, but Bobby's going to have a lot, a lot of work to yeah, do I just to have make one... a better pitch than what Tristan just did. I am obsessed with his pitch. I just have one small nitpick with his pitch, but yeah, Bobby, go for it. Cut out. Cutting out. A little. Gave up. His internet forfeited. Tristan, everything I expected right. from your Superman pitch, you just gave me in your Hulk pitch, and I'm okay. very happy about it. So then Bobby, you guys, you have a lot to yeah. compete with. And he's frozen. Yeah, if you want to try going out and coming back, or because that seemed to work last time. Yeah. Let's just I've been reading a bunch back. of Golden Age comics recently. I've been trying to go through like Marvel, a bunch of years of Marvel. So I've been reading a lot of Kazar, which is interesting. I've been reading a lot of Craven the Hunter and Spider-Man stuff. So I'm. I don't know. I felt confident going to this one. I'll see what Bobby has. I'm looking forward to what he's got. Craven's one of my favorite Spider-Man villains. So I, I'm interested in uh, exploring that story more. And Bobby's frozen? 
I think. He's kind of smirking. Yeah. Maybe he's just kind of bad smirk, you know? No. I'm trying, I was trying to talk, so I was, if I was, I was probably frozen on my face from when yeah. I came in. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't hear anything he said, so let's just hear it. Let's try to get it from you. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right, so I also used the same rule of putting a comic book character on the map, but I want a very different tone for my movie. Um, I think they've, they've done kind of a, a serious Hulk with him battling with himself and the Hulk and that type of stuff before, and um, I, my favorite time of... We can't fall apart now. Yeah. We're almost at the end. Bobby went so long without having issues. Yeah. Did you hear any yeah. of what I said? Uh, you said no. it's going to be more serious, and that's or you said something. No. Like the previous sorry, the previous movie was more serious, and that's <laughs> kind of what it got. Yeah, and you're frozen. Again. All right. If you want to like try restarting your internet, I'll, I'll, we can talk about our plans for next week, and you know, right. it'll be interesting to talk about the upcoming weeks. Kind of give people do a little housekeeping okay. while you do that. I'll be back in a couple minutes. All right. All right. So, so I'm in. I'm anticipating a lot from Bobby. We we'll, we will see. But yeah, I gotta say, Tristan, yeah. that's gonna be hard to beat. Um. All right. So yeah, guys. Next week. Um. I don't know what day yet because I don't have my schedule. But yeah. what are we doing next week? Joe? Next week's Mount Rushmore week. Uh, we're starting a new show called just Movie Change at Mount Rushmore. It's kind of a little description of what we're doing. Basically, we have, I believe eight categories so far do we only have seven did we ever get an eighth category from bobby because i feel like i think we might be only have seven at this point but either way the show the show we're planning on doing is going to be roughly like an hour and a half to two hours we're just going to work our way through uh various categories we're each going to present our personal mount rushmore for that film category and then together we're going to work together as a group for the show's mount rushmore like one of our uh rules is like um movie monsters or movie animals and creatures and so like i'll give my four johnny will give his four tristan will give his four and bobby will give his four and then we'll look for commonalities and try to figure out uh what is the, our ultimate movie change up mount rush for r- r- mount rushmore for movie creatures i and think animals. mount rush four <laughs> yeah but yeah because one of the things that because it's a big thing on like sports talk radio and other things and I feel like sometimes they get it wrong with what Mount Rushmore is. It's not just necessarily the top four because Mount Rushmore itself, each of the presidents represented something else. So it's kind of like, what would we like to represent and who are we, who or what are we using to represent that on our Mount Rushmore? So I think it'll be a fun, interesting show. It'll be shorter than this show normally because I think we're going to aim for like an hour and a half to two hour running time for that. Yeah, we have, we have eight categories decided on, but basically what we're going to do is we're going to get to our, we're going to feel comfortable ending it, and we're going to end it when we when we have good timing rather than like do all eight categories. So it's not going to be like if anyone listens to our top 100 films or top 20 of the decade that is each over three hour episodes, we're not going to hit that by forcing ourselves into an amount before the episode. So um yeah, I'm excited for it. I, I think it'll be interesting to see what you guys do did. I've been trying to think about them since we yeah. came up with them all week, and like I've been thinking of them over and over again, thinking, like, "Ooh, how did I not think of this one? How did I not think of this one?" But yeah. some of them, I was like, immediate top four. And while I'm trying to make lists of like other contenders, I stuck with the top four right away. So I'm curious to see like how many commonalities we have in these. Yeah, and then- I want to mention too. There's a lot of superhero stuff going on the next couple of days. Uh, 
Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the show on Disney Plus premieres in this what this week it premieres, and yeah, I know at least me and Joe are hoping to get some reviews out for that each week because I'll be staying up at two in the morning watching it. I have nothing else going on in my life, so I'll be doing that. Mm. Yeah. And we've got the Snyder Cut coming out soon as well. I don't know when we'll be talking about that, but I know me and Johnny typically come down on very opposing sides of Zack Snyder's filmography, so it'd be fun to get the two of us to talk about that movie here too. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be that'll be interesting to see for sure. So, all right, Bobby, try to talk. Let's see what you got. You look frozen already. That's just that's worrying. That's very very worrying. Yeah, I'm I'm I am cutting in and out. I can tell already because my video goes into that circle. Hmm. Um, audio wise, well, I can hear you. Yeah, I can hear you. You can hear. Yeah. You can hear? Okay, as long as you can hear, that's fine. I'll just keep talking and let me know yeah. when you can. Do your do your pitch, and we'll we'll just tell you if you stop. Okay. Uh, so basically what I was saying is they, they've done Hulk and tried to go serious a couple times, and I think it's worked to be either bad or mediocre. Um, so and my, my favorite way to use him actually was in Thor Ragnarok, which is a more comedic style. I'm not doing this. And there we go. Can't reach him. Hmm. Hear me. Yep. Yeah, here, heard no. you for a second, and then that was it. Sorry, audience. Yeah, all two of you. Yeah, my directors, can you, if you can hear me, are John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, who did Game Night. Um, my Bruce Banner Hulk is going to be played by Bill Hader. My Betty Ross is going to be played by Kristen Milati. And then you cut out again. Can you we hear left me? off at my Kristen Milati. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my Tyrannus is the villain that I'm gonna my comic book character that I'm putting on the map. He is an old golden age kind of villain that's kind of corny, but play Ooh, Tyrannus. Tyrannus. Don't know nothing about no Tyrannus. I know Darth Tyrannus. What'd you say about Yeah, I know Darth Tyrannus. Yeah. All, all we heard was you said yeah. Tyrannus or Tyrannus is corny, so <laughs> that's as far as we got. <laughs> Tyrannus is an old golden age, like one of the original kind of Hulk villains uh, that lived underground. Um, and he play he comes off as like trying to be very serious, but he's it's a very like All right. hear me though. This is getting bad. Yeah. Uh, but Jesse yeah. Jesse Do you have it on your computer if you like copied and pasted it into the private chat? What up? You can also yeah, try joining from your phone. You might be a little bit faster on cellular than you are on the Wi-Fi. Yeah, I mean, but the problem yeah, is I don't it. know if it, it'll come across very well written out rather than me saying it, yeah, but sure. I can try. Well, you could just exit, like Tristan said, exit out and go through your phone. See if that makes a difference. Um. Okay. Yeah, like you said, cellular might work better than the internet. Yeah, let me... So get, do this, copy-paste it, it if you can. I'll read it. I'll make it sound spectacular, and then uh, you can come on your phone and uh, fight Tristan. Yeah, nice chance to debate. I'm going to try computer. to enter. Hold on, I'm leaving from my computer and trying to enter on here. That son of a bitch! I wanted to read this bitch. All right, so so far we have the Hulk versus Tyrannus. I'm interested to see if it's green Tyrannus or humanoid like white. Tyrannus. What is Tyrannus? Uh, 
Tyrannus is basically like an old Broman dude. Like, if you look him up, um, look up Tyrannus Marvel. He looks like an old Broman character, and then sometimes he's, like, green fighting the Hulk, and sometimes he's just, like, this old white dude, but he is pretty wild. He's very wild. He's for a 2021 film. That's the point. Um, I make, it is a comedy. Um, can you hear me now? Yeah, you're good now. All right. I don't have headphones in or anything, so let me know if you hear, like, feedback from any of you. But basically what I was trying to get at is that I think they've done Hulk serious and try to tell that story of the dynamic between them a few times, and we've seen that a lot. Um, And I liked the use of comedy with him in Thor Ragnarok, and that was refreshing. I'd like to do that at least one more time before we go back to a more serious um, Hulk story. So that's why I have John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein with Bill Hader Kristen Milotti and Jesse Plemons as Tyrannus, who is a very ridiculous type villain, but he is going to play kind of the, the neighbor role in in, um, in Game Night, where he's taking himself very seriously, but to everyone else, at least the Hulk and to Betty Ross, it comes across as weird, goofy, you know, doesn't quite fit. Because his story, which will, you can have a brief, you can tell it however you want briefly in the movie, is that In the Roman Empire, he claimed to be like a sorcerer, but he was really a scientist that was ahead of his time. He gets exiled by King Arthur um, and Merlin to Subterranea, which is an underground network of caves uh, and tunnels miles beneath the Earth's surface. Um, And there he finds a race of these like orange-skinned, semi-humanoid type um, creatures who are eager to have a master. So he becomes their master and just lives underground uh, as they're in that kingdom of Subterranea. so my, my uh, plot is that Tyrannus lures an unsuspecting woman who happens to be Betty Ross underground to force her to become his queen to rule Subterranea with because he's getting lonely. Um, using tracking on her cell phone, Bruce Banner tracks her down. Uh, when he gets to where she should be, he realizes that they must be underground because the cell phone nor Betty are in sight and discovers the tunnels and stumbles upon Subterranea, Subterranea and Tyrannus. Now is the Hulk. Um, he tries to get to Betty um, and starts taking out all of the subterraneans, that kind of weird orange-skinned creatures. We get to see fun um, Hulk action, but some things are being played for, for comedy, like physical-type comedy of Hulk, Hulk smashing. Um, and he gets interrupted by Tyrannus before he gets to Betty. Um, he says that he means no harm and that he just wants someone to rule with, but if Hulk can accomplish some, mean- some tasks for him, that, he will, uh, that he'll let Betty go and let them go back to the surface, but if he continues to try to attack, he's going to send millions of these subterraneans up to the surface. Um, so it kind of traps Hulk to do these things. So what it turns into, and it's a storyline from like the old comics, is he's going to have Hulk do things that are kind of menial tasks that are that would they would kill a normal human um, or someone without power, you know, without the Hulk's powers, like trying to carry massive things uphill, like uh, driving a bunch of stakes like through into the ground stopping a dam from splitting that's that's there like a bunch of random things like that that would help them but hulk is so big and he's confined to like a glass you know glass building that he's destroying subterranea and the kingdom as he does it even though he's accomplishing the past you get a lot of physical humor and you get um bill Hader as he goes back into banner with some dry dry humor back with him because he knows what he's doing um, but he plays it off as if he's, you know, I'm just doing exactly what you're saying type of stuff. And you get Jesse Plemons overdoing it and being super serious, trying to get with Betty, and you get funny moments of her, like, turning him down and type of things. But uh, it's basically he 
it we get to the end of him doing these impossible tasks, and he does so much damage to the kingdom, including destroying Tyrannus' throne, that after a brief battle, he just kind of he yields and is like, no, you can take her, get out of here, just don't come back. I'm not coming across to you. I don't want to see you ever again. Uh, is kind of how it ends, but I was trying to get through that quickly because of uh, all the issues with the internet. But it's a comedy. There's a lot of physical comedy, a lot of dry humor by um, by Bill Hader when he's Bruce, um, and playing into kind of the like him talking as Hulk humor type things, as talking in the style of of Thor Ragnarok. Uh, and you get Jesse Plemons, who I think is great, playing an over serious thing, even though he's ridiculous and goofy looking. And I think that can at least be a fun it's like an hour and a half movie uh with a fun hulk you know it's a it's a it's a fun hulk movie com- comedy pretty much all right um johnny what are your initial thoughts here and you're muted so you know my initial thoughts are we're at nine twenty-five, and i have a very strong opinion on who wins this so i, I don't think we really need to fight if you but you're the deciding factor so was... if there's things that you need to hear ask away all right, uh, my thing is initially, Bobby, is there anything you can say in the next minute that will make me like your movie about the Hulk going around fixing things more than a movie about the Hulk fighting dinosaurs? Like, why why do I want to see your underground Hulk house repair movie over Hulk fighting dinosaurs? You have one minute. You can just give him the point. That's fine. I like right. to do <laughs> All right, yeah, we can go. All right, he yields. All right, yeah. yeah, I just want to say quickly, Bobby, I you're a fun episode of like a 30 minute kids TV show. Like, I think that would be really fun. Yeah. Um, but Tristan sounds like a really yeah. Yeah, and and Tristan sounds like an awesome movie. I don't know about exactly the choice that we went out um as your director, but I like the idea that all these movies have of maybe you don't know like this guy's an independent director, so we're gonna give him he can tell a story. We're gonna give him this wild movie. It's not something you expect. And Channing Tatum, while maybe not being my first choice for um, Tazar, I think would be funny in the role, at least. I think he would be cool in that role. Um, he has the look for it, for sure. So so I don't mind that. I think Lord Miller actually would have been perfect directors for this movie for Tristan of Hulk fighting dinosaurs and, and Channing Tatum as uh, Tazar. But other than that, like... Yeah, I mean, if you had switched those two directors. My dream... Craven the Hunter is Jeffrey Dean Morgan, so I was basically sold. I was sold as soon as Tristan said that um, his takes place in the Savage Lands, because I think Hulk is amazing in, like, Planet Hulk and Savage Lands. Like, those are the type of environments you have to make, like, Hulk interesting, so I like that a lot. As soon as it was Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Craven the Hunter, you can't beat it. I think that's an awesome story. So, yeah. uh, t- Tristan ties it up. It's three to three. And we got to get this last one, which is uh, Men in Black, pretty quickly. So, Bob, you lost that point. Who's yeah. going well, first? I was just, I was just gonna say my, I said earlier, oh, yeah. one nitpick against Tristan's, and my only real nitpick is as far as his rule choice of putting Gazar on the map. I feel like Craven the Hunter is a much bigger uh, character and a much more like character that fans want. So, part of my only small nitpick is I feel like including Craven the Hunter 
kind of diminishes like the power that Kassar could have in the role. So I don't know how much he would be put on the map and or in how much compared to how much he would just. Be I think so. I think Craig. though Tristan could have said that same pitch and said he's putting Craven the Hunter on the map. Yeah, that's that what was my thought it. too, and it was like a well, tiny nitpick. He's basically putting both characters on the map, so. Yeah, it was just like nitpick, a, it was like a tiny nitpick that I had, and I just wanted to address. It's it basically Tristan just likes to use his rule twice per pitch, <laughs> like his yeah. Superman rule, and he brought yeah, two guys. Just go with both, you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. It's nine thirty, so, guys. Let's uh, fucking knock this many yeah. black one out. So. I have, yeah. I'll I'll talk about something after our episode, like maybe when we're off air about that Hulk thing. But um, so I'm gonna go first with Men in Black, and you guys can give the rundown. All right. So Men in Black came out in 1997. It's 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. I could give a backstory and describe the plot of Men in Black, but we're running long on time, and everyone fucking knows what Men in Black is. Hey, hey it's guys against aliens, and they work for the government. And people don't know they exist. Men in black. Yep, so... I will uh, say this, though. If either of you hit what Joe and I talked about previously, you don't need to fight. I think we have our winner. So we'll see unless what both you of them do. Both of them but if could. both of you do, or if neither of you do, then we'll have a fight. Yeah. I highly doubt that I did what you would have talked about beforehand. Me too. We'll I think this would be fun. Um, so, uh, basically... This was inspired. I watched a, an episode of um, Mr. Sunday Movies. They did a re, they watched the Men in Black cartoon show that existed, which I didn't even know did. But in that, it's basically they um, it exists in a world where the movies exist. Like they actually are doing their things, but they made Men in Black movies kind of to cover up the fact that they're actually real. Um, so it mine kind of that creates the the setup for how I can do my movie, uh, which is. Uh, kind of playing into the 21 Jump Street Men in Black crossover that they were going to maybe do um, and then didn't back it, when the Sony leaks happened. But it's not going to be exactly that, but it's going to play into it in a way that I think would be really fun uh, and make a better movie than just trying to redo Men in Black in a, in a different way. So my directors are going to be Lord and Miller, who have been brought up a bunch in this episode already. <laughs> Terrible directors. <laughs> um, my double D because they ran out of single letters is going to be played by Jonah Hill my double X is going to be played by Channing Tatum uh, my triple M or mm, which can lead to some really dumb jokes that makes Nick Offerman as that character as kind of the lead of the men in black um, yell at uh, Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill uh, and then as my um, like villain alien like the main alien in it is going to be played by Steve Buscemi I named him Kron just because um, and he's an alien who's disguised as a director in Hollywood. So this is a very meta comedy that it, that Lord and Miller do very well, based on the cartoon show where, like I said, where it exists in the world where the Men in Black movies actually did happen. Um, but you're going to have things like, so Tom DeLonge is going to initiate their plan, where he he's the lead singer of Blink-182, and that's all he does now is work with aliens and with the government. So he's going to start them off on their... A uh, little journey on this story and tell them the plot that he found out that an alien race has infiltrated Hollywood and plans on making movie, making a movie that, uh, when seen by humans, will make them go insane, allowing this weaker species to take over Earth. They infiltrate as, Holly, as Hollywood actors, actors to investigate, but have to shoot scenes as they go because they don't know exactly who this who is doing this or what movie they are shooting. Um, they just happen to be on the one with Steve Buscemi, so they can interact with him. Uh, there's a scene where they meet Will Smith, and it's revealed that he was an alien. Just kind of 
a throwback to the original. So an alien was actually starring in the Men in Black movies. So a lot of fun meta humor. This is R-rated uh, because it's in the style of the 21 Jump Street type of movies, but these are not those same characters. At least they don't reference that they are. Um, when they meet Will Smith to find out he's an alien, it cuts to a planet. We have aliens doing a Will Smith-style rap. We have aliens doing a Will Smith Men in Black rap on a planet. Um, so it's a crazy bonkers meta comedy. There's action scenes throughout when they encounter aliens working for Kron that are trying to like um, eat human brains or whatever. So you get their their use them using their guns and using their stuff to try to uh, take down aliens, and it plays out pretty comedically. They, so they find out this plan as they go, um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. I didn't. You don't need to have a huge massive plot but again you play into a, a crazy investigation like the 21 jump street movies very meta movie that i think that lord and miller would do really well because the men in black movies became mediocre more mediocre and mediocre until they're they were really bad um and i think playing off that and doing something completely different like this um would actually be fun i think it's a, it actually a good idea all right that's the okay. direction to go with it tristan what do you got we both went in very individual directions. <laughs> I think we both did movies that we would like a lot, so it would be fun to argue this one. But that being said, my directors are Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who broke into fame doing The Endless, a really small sci-fi movie, and they just last year did Synchronic, a much bigger sci-fi movie that got held up by COVID. It hasn't really gotten a wide release yet. But I want to get to the middle ground here, a little bit big, a little bit in the roots of smaller movies. And my rule here is this whole civilian's perspective. And that civilian is played by Freddie Highmore. You'd know him from Bates Motel. And I think he fits that, fits that kind of awkward kind of vibe I'm going for with the character. I named him Lee in this. And Lee's living a normal kind of boring life, working a dead-end job at a gas station. And his forgettable life is interrupted when he's leaving a long shift at work and gets abducted by aliens. And he wakes up in his bed the next day. He's disoriented, he doesn't even know what happened. He's saying, God, I had a weird dream last night. But slowly but surely, he starts to piece things together and say, hey, maybe I did get abducted by aliens last night. And he goes to work the next day, and he's greeted by these mysterious suited men who are saying they've gotten reports in the area of alien uh, sightings of UFOs, and they're trying to gather a list of witnesses just so they can follow up with them at a later date. And Lee is kind of nervous. He's not sure if he trusts these guys, so he lies and says, oh, I haven't seen anything. I didn't even hear about it, and kind of lets them leave. But of course, he's scared. So he reaches out to his friend, Haley, who I have played by Chloe Grace Moretz. And together, the two of them kind of uncover this secret history of their town. Because it's set in a very small Midwestern town, like a dead-end kind of town where people are stuck there, never really leaving. And uh, we get them kind of investigating the history of this town, kind of similar to how in the first eight they're getting this, they're uncovering this history of Pennywise throughout the entire history of Derry from the beginning. And they're uncovering, oh, there's been these alien abductions all this time. There's all these witnesses, but no one's really talking about it because these men in black show up all the time and kind of shut it down. So as they're piecing the things together, they're in this kind of conspiracy thriller where the men in black are always on their tail. They're always trying to say one step ahead of these uh, mysterious organization of investigators who are coming in to crack the case and figure out the truth and of course they're not very trusting of these guys so he finally puts all the pieces together and kind of gets this case together of the history 
with all his witnesses throughout the town. They've all gotten alien history. They've all gotten abducted, or they've all seen UFOs, these handful of people. And he reaches out to, Clo or to Haley and says, look, I found the truth out. I've talked to all these witnesses. There actually was aliens in this town. And she says, aliens? What are you talking about? What do you mean? And she doesn't remember any of their conversation. She's been mind wiped by the men in black. So he's freaking out, obviously. His one uh, co-conspirator, who was his kind of confidant, doesn't even remember the entire story. She barely remembers him. And he calls out his witnesses, people he met before, people he met in this investigation, and every single one of them says, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. There weren't any aliens. What do you, what do you mean? And now he realizes the men in black have erased all their memories, and he's the last one left. So we get this final confrontation. He's trying to run out of town, but he doesn't want to go on a plane. He doesn't want to go on a train. He keeps seeing guys in suits and thinking, oh, my God, is that them? So he's in this kind of like rainy driving out of town, trying to get out, trying to get out. And in the last scene, he had this confrontation with the main men in black. And they give him this one ultimatum, like, look, we can wipe your memory, send you back to the town, and you'll never remember anything that happened to you, but you go back to your normal life. And it'll be like nothing happened. Or you can come with us. We'll train you. You'll be one of us as a men in black. We saw your investigative skills. We could use that on our team. We'd love to have you. And the last scene, it's just him waking up kind of back in his house. You get this kind of ambiguous ending of, is he, did he take the deal or did he not? And he opens up his closet, and his whole entire closet is just black suits. That's not pitch for men in black. Hmm. Right. Joe, do you think either of them hit what we were uh, looking for here? Um, I feel like Tristan more so, but none of them, none of them, like, fully. Um... Yeah. Yeah, I'll say that. This, what we, um, I'll just tell you guys what we're looking for. We really wanted, um, a men, men in Black are just agents going on missions, and all of the movies have been about, like, world-ending events, and we really didn't want that in any of the movies. So we wanted a movie focused on the Men in Black going on a mission that was just taking out an alien that's not trying to end the world. So neither of you really hit that too well because Tristan was focused on the civilians, and Bobby still had the world-ending event or the aliens taking over the Earth event. So... Neither of you hit exactly what we were looking for, but I liked both pitches a lot. So I do kind of want to hear you guys fight it out. Um, and I'm glad that Joe's making the final decision on this and not me. Yeah. Um, I don't really have any questions. I, I kind of understand where you're going. I just more want to see you guys battle it out. Uh, I know we've gone a bit, but I'm still going to... I'll, I'll just get five minutes on the clock, but I might stop it beforehand. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I agree. Uh, uh, Tristan, uh, why is your more serious pitch better than Bobby's more comedic pitch? Well, I really wanted to lean into the horror of what the Men in Black could be. These suited, anonymous invaders coming in to try to give these people who have had this crazy traumatic experience. And I think that Bobby's is just way too goofy or ridiculous. Like, I watched Men in Black International, I think it was, with Chris uh, Hemsworth. And that was very, very comedic and very, very meta. And it sucked. And I think yours sounds a lot like that. And it just sounds like they've tried to make men in black comedies like four times now, and they've always been all right, but they never really hit a peak of greatness, really. And I think yours just sounds like you're trying to do the same thing again. Sure, you have some talented directors there, but talented directors have worked at men in black before, and all they've given us are like all right comedies. And yours just sounds like another all right comedy. Mine sounds like a really creative sci-fi horror take on the men in black. I think I use a civilian perspective a lot better than yours, 
because they're directly interacting with the men in black throughout the movie. They're not just in the last scene. So I think uh, mine just sounds like it uses the premise of these these anonymous suited men coming into the town and the small town alien abduction kind of vibes. And I think my directors can pull that off. They can, if you haven't seen the previous work, they really can pull off like weird paranoia kind of storyline. So I think that's why I went with them. I think mine just sounds a lot more interesting, a lot more unique. Yours just sounds like the next Netflix comedy. Well, so the thing with Men in Black is the, the thing that made it kind of a big hit and what people loved is that it was a fun, comedic movie. Um, and then you, with the aliens and that, I think taking it too serious with yours and take, making it from civilian perspective kind of strips away what made Men in Black itself um, and doesn't really reinvent it to go forward to continue as a franchise where um, mine does some, it still sticks with comedy, but it does it to the level of everyone who's, who loves Men in Black or did when it came out is older now and would love the R-rated meta comedy um, about it. And it still has the fun moments of Men in Black where you have celebrities that are aliens, you have people that are working with the government, you have, but then you have people that uh, we know that their character interaction actions, actions work well with Channing Tatum um, and with Jonah Hill. You can do, you can joke on the tropes that don't really make too much sense with Men in Black. You can have them, um, like Channing Tatum forgets to put his sunglasses on and gets uh, neuralized himself and forgets the whole mission. You have Jonah Hill trying to catch him up on everything that's going on throughout like the last scenes. You have, you can have, um, like I said, a rap scene with Will Smith, a type aliens doing that. You can, I think it's, it's just a lot more fun and it can actually rejuvenate a franchise to get people talking about it again and being a, an actual more fun movie even though it's very meta and very over the top um i think that's what made 21 jump street work well and it's been long enough now since 22 jump street that it doesn't feel like they're just doing like it, it would be a good re reunite uh like team uh thing reuniting the team where people didn't just see it it's been a little while where you can let that sit and people remember it's oh these guys are back making a funny movie rejuvenate get more people to go see it and i think to me it's a more entertaining movie like i, I the meta humor and stuff for me especially with men in black i think would be a lot of fun where yours your movie it, it would be very dry for the most part and i think you're making the mistake of taking a fun franchise and trying to do a little bit more serious dramatic like ambiguous ending kind of story which would work as like it would, i think it would be okay like a good solid that does sound like a netflix drama to me Whereas mine does, it sounds like something that to me would reunite or reinvigorate a franchise and be a lot more fun to watch. I think mine just sounds more exciting and interesting, even though it's very, it's more grounded than yours. It's, it's a human story. It's focused on this one character and their one individual experience with a uh, supernatural alien experience. And I just don't necessarily think the meta comedy works. Like Men in Black had what, three movies? Versus four, and they weren't even that old. Like, it, what are you even really going to comment on? What is the meta ness of this? Like, so meta being so it's meta in the sense that this 21 Jump Street Men in Black crossover almost have like almost happened, and that was a big internet thing. It's meta in the fact that they they exist in the world that the movies existed, so that itself is meta. That's what I get and saying by that. Not every single joke is meta, but that's the premise is like you know, um, and then you get the over the top 21 Jump Street style. I mean, the plots in that where they um, they take the drugs that go through the different phases, it's going to show, you know, what would happen to the humans if they watched this movie type, type of thing. Not in the same way, but they'd come up with some creative way to do that because uh, Lord Miller are good. But 
Um, honestly, I just I think what I would rather see in a Men in Black movie, and I think it probably comes down to that for the judges too, is I would rather see something more fun, whether it's R-rated or family-friendly. I'd rather see the fun tone than a more serious tone with it uh, to keep it a fun franchise, personally. That's just right. what I like in Men in Black. All right, it's been five minutes, and I just have one final question for Tristan. The movie is from the civilian's perspective, and one of the big plot points in your movie is like the people around him are getting neuralized and stuff. So I want to, I, want, I just need you to answer how he figures out they're getting neuralized, or how we as an audience, if maybe I've never seen a Men in Black movie, it's explained how these people are just like he's talking to them and they don't know what's going on anymore and they don't know who he is, maybe. And I just need an explanation for that. Well, I mean, you'd know that the Men in Black are erasing their memories because he's had these conversations with them and then he shows up and suddenly they don't remember them. So you've seen the, the Men in Black. Like maybe you have a scene where one of the suited guys shows up at the witness's house and you don't necessarily know what happened, but he sees them the next day and they don't remember anything. And if you're going to knock mine for you might need to know this one specific thing about the men in black that they can erase memories, like that's the one thing everybody remembers about it. And I think Bobby's hangs way too much on you. You have to know everything about men in black to get this movie. You have to know what Tom DeLonge is doing in his spare time. You have to follow the memes on Twitter about the 21 Jump Street crossover movie. I think. Yours sounds like everything we've seen Lord and Miller do like so many times over again. You knocked my Lord and Miller pitch for not letting them be more creative, and I think yours is not creative at all. It's just them saying, oh, you've done this before, so do it again, and that's not interesting to me at all. Mine's right. way different. But they haven't seen done it in black three, four times now. I want a diff different take. But I'd like to see him return to it. All right. We've gone, on, last we've gone on a while. Johnny, what are you thinking? What are your thoughts? It's tough. Like I said, I, like I said before they made an argument, I'm glad I'm not making the final decision. So I'm glad it's on Joe. Um, if I had to lean a certain direction, when I think of Ben in Black, like I said, I wanted a more grounded angle. I've, unlike Joe, I've seen The Endless, um, and, and I thought that was a very good film. But if I'm going with what feels more Men in Black, well, I think Bobby was lazily casting um, Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill again. For, because they were in 22 Jump Street. I think he could have just put two new people in there and made it more exciting. I think Tristan's feels more like the X-Files and Bobby's feels more like Men in Black. So if I'm going for a Men in Black reboot, I would lean towards Bobby, but it's very close. I, I would see both. I like Tristan's directors. Um, I just think he could have done a better job making it feel like a Men in Black movie. Maybe he had some of more of the tone that we're used to. I agree that like the newest one was not good because it leaned a lot into comedy, but I trust Bobby's directors because I've seen it before to actually do that properly rather than Men in Black International, which was from someone who isn't clearly as good at that. So I would lean towards Bobby because his feels more Men in Black, but that's the only deciding factor for me. I think everything else is very close. So Joe, it's all on you. Um, that's my little bit of help that you get, but it's like literally like, yeah, mine is literally 51, 49. Yeah, I'm like, if I'm anything, I'm like 50 and a half, 49 and a half. Like, it is very, very <laughs> yeah, close. It's very hard when there are two different pitches. Good, and these are, and I, and I actually really like both of your pitches. It's not that one of them, like, just lost less than the other. This is very. Yeah, these were two of the best pitches of the night from both of you. Um, but I would say, as far as Men in Black, if what I would expect and what I want, what I would think, if very, very, very slightly, I'm going to give the edge to Bobby. Wow. The laziest pitch I've ever wow. given Bobby. I thought you were going to love or hate that pitch. 
I could picture a movie a lot better than I could picture Tristan's if they yeah. said Men in Black is coming out. I, I think that's what it came it came down to. I like Tristan's pitch, but if he said if his was an X Files reboot, he would have won. Bobby, you're stuck a little more closely yeah. to what I'd like like to yeah. see from that franchise, and I think Tristan's straight away a little bit. Even though I like the idea of the neuralizing, if he had even defended his by saying he witnesses someone being neuralized but like turns his head at the last second and you see it off screen just because it's from someone's perspective doesn't mean like the whole movie is from like their point of view you can see a scene where someone gets neuralized and someone witnesses it and i don't think his defense no like that wasn't why he lost i was more i i was just very close and that was like an idea i had and if he had had like some amazing incredible thing that's not why he lost it was just more something i think there are a couple things tristan could have tweaked to make us feel more like Men in Black. And yeah. I think even mentioning his as more of a horror movie, I was like, damn, this would be a cool X-Files or Black Mirror, but I don't see it necessarily as as Men in Black. But again, I mean, that was so fucking close. Like, yeah. that couldn't have been any closer. Yeah. Um, I just can't believe round. Bobby pitched yet another shitty comedic take of Men in Black, and it sounds like it would be exactly the same as 21 Jump Street and exactly the same as Men in Black International and just a but, shitty... But here's my thing, too, like... Like I love Twenty One Jump Street. I know though. Tristan. Tristan loves the Endless, but I'd rather watch Twenty One or Twenty Two Jump Street over that movie. Yeah. And Bobby sounded closer to those, and Tristan sounded closer to a movie that he's high on, but we're clearly not. What? And I think that hurt him. My number one. I think if he went something yeah. closer to what we enjoy, um, I think he maybe. You got to hear the correct judges. You know, I've I've yeah. lost so many times because the judges are rigged against me, and mm-hmm. we're just seeing it yet again. I mean, to the last. Yeah, no, I'm just saying, Tristan. You... As much as you're trying to be the heel, I think you're just turning into a sore loser at this point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was like, but that was a great battle. I honestly had a lot of fun pitching those. Um, so it was all close. Out. Yeah. My yeah. my number one like movie that I wanted to see that never got made was Justice League Mortal, the George George Miller like CGI Justice League movie. My number two movie was MIB Twenty Three. So. So Bobby definitely had like a leg up on this one, but I, I really didn't know that. But it's, I wanted to see that too. My, but so he had like a leg up on this, and uh, so almost not making it. Mib twenty three almost like took it down a little bit for me, but like barely any. Uh, Johnny, uh, any final thoughts? Uh, what was your favorite pitch of the night? My favorite pitch of the night was Tristan, even though. You know, he barely lost. My favorite pitch was Tristan's Incredible Hulk. Yeah. That was my favorite pitch that he's done in a while, like, as far as I'm concerned. Like, that pitch was awesome. Um, and and honestly, like, I was most disappointed, like I said, of the Superman pitches. I think that was the – while it came down to Men in Black, I thought the, the main game changer was Superman, and I thought that one of them would come out with a super strong pitch, a really interesting cast, a great Superman, and neither of them did that. And – that was the deciding factor because Bobby barely won that over because his felt more like a movie that would be made and Tristan's felt like just like stuck so closely to a comic book that it's popular that honestly I'm not a big fan of. Um, I kind of go against the grain of that. I think Ulster Superman is one of the worst Superman comics um, and it's not what I'm looking for and I think that hurt Tristan in the end and that was really the deciding factor because it would have come down to whoever won Superman would have won um, but I, I loved I loved Tristan's Hulk pitch. I everything I looked mm. for in Superman, like I said, was what he did for Hulk, and I and I really really enjoyed that pitch. So that was my favorite pitch of the night for sure. Yeah, my my favorite pitch of uh, Tristan's is definitely his Hulk pitch, and my favorite pitch of 
Bobby's is probably, uh, ugh. it's either, I mean, it's pretty close between either Punisher Warzone or the Rocketeer, but I really like both of those. Uh, and then, uh, Bobby, what was your favorite pitch of Tristan's? Uh, definitely the Hulk one, which is why I was when I was cutting out, I was trying to say we might just want to move on with the last fight. <laughs> Bobby immediately gave up on the fight. So you knew Tristan's pitch was good. Yeah, it was really good, and my pitch was meant to go, like, it was a movie I would see that I thought would have been fun and funny, but it wasn't meant to go up to one of the best pitches of the night, for sure. So that, that was a really good pitch. Alright, yeah, uh, so check us out next week. Uh, definitely. Wait, we didn't get to Tristan. Yeah, and he didn't get to me, so it's alright. So, uh, <laughs> next week we got Mount Rushmore. Uh, you know, as we, I talked about it earlier when Bobby was, uh, you know, having his problems. But hopefully everything will be good next week. We're going to do our Mount Rushmore and look for me and Tristan to do a couple reviews, whether it's uh, Justice League hey, or, or, Fal yeah, or Falcon yeah. and Winter Soldier. Yeah, and Bobby can hop on too if he wants. I uh, I want to watch Snyder Cut, so I, I'd be on for that. Oh, yeah, so probably all four of us are going to be on for that. And uh, not sure when that is. We'll keep you all updated. And uh, have a nice night.